Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. This is Jay. And I'm Shannon Invincible. Okay. Guy has such a great name. Willie Invincible, <laughs> top notch. They all have great names. Yeah, I watched a couple movies with people who have just tremendous names this <laughs> week. We'll talk a bit more about that in part three. But for our first part, we're talking about Flatliners, the original 1991 by director Joel Schumacher, the third film of his we've covered. This is, oh, wow. I, I would have guessed 98, actually. <laughs> I didn't didn't think 91. 90. Oh, wow. Not, not 91, 1990. Uh, this was the original version. Uh, they did a remake in 2017. Or not a remake. I think it's a sequel. And it has Kiefer Sutherland in it. I haven't seen it. I hear it's boring. <laughs> what would it even be about? <laughs> I don't know. I, it's, you know, it's a new new class. Uh, All right, we're going to try flatlining. Don't do it. Your sins are going to follow you from the grave. I think he's, like, still doing it or something, and now he's just, like, teaching a new class. Like, Here's it's a new class of med class. students. I don't know. Weird. <laughs> Just not a movie that needs a sequel. Yeah, especially a sequel where he apparently still has a medical license, which he should not have. Well, he doesn't have one yet. I, I think uh, it makes perfect sense that he would have one because, you know, they're they're med students and they actually get out of it. Uh, you, you may notice that this is sort of a horror movie about people dying where nobody dies. There is not a single fatality in this movie, even though everybody sort of dies other than Oliver Platt. They all die, but it never sticks. Yeah, they they all come back. And the, the coming back is sort of more the point of it. So, I don't know. I mean, it, 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 I, I don't raise any objection to that. It makes perfect sense to me that he has a, a medical license because nobody knows that anything went wrong. Uh, they they all guess, just did these things. Yeah, I guess nobody – they never got caught, did they? No. There's nothing to suggest that they would be. And it's a weird atmosphere to this whole movie. Uh, it's got that same sort it's it is very much like Lost Boys. It's this sort of sexualized self-destruction. I didn't feel so much about the sexualization of it in in this, but maybe as we not go, as much. Yeah, maybe as we discuss it, maybe I'll start to see it. But I didn't I wasn't really thinking about that at all, actually. Well, I mean, it's absolutely having to do with AIDS. The, the AIDS panic, the AIDS epidemic is heavily influencing this. Uh, it's uh, certainly something that, you know, uh, Joel Schumacher brings to it as an out queer filmmaker at the time. Pretty much the only major one, I guess, at that point. Oh, in and, 1990, yeah, he would be probably. Yeah, and Catholic guilt is obviously the major function of this. And I think that's mm -hmm. really from the original writer. But then you have a lot of just the elevated uh, Catholic iconography throughout this movie and the location really uh, doing their medical exam at the Sistine Chapel looking place <laughs> yeah just all of it well it's it's all of these classical paintings uh, that are based on uh, dissection and stuff but like this is a real university this is Loyola University which is a private Catholic university oh so, that explains yeah. everything explains a lot of the like the locations and stuff and i don't know how much of this is 
how they actually perform. Just the the autopsy room, the the dissection room that they use it does seem absurdly elevated. But I don't know. Maybe I, that's how it actually was in 1990. Maybe I just feel like all those paintings are there to be like. And if you fail as a doctor, not only will we be disappointed in you, but God will be mad at you. Well, some the 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 God ones are in the museum uh, where where they enter, where they do their experiments, where they're doing the flatlining. But the 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 ones I think in that room, the dissection room, are mostly classical paintings of that act, because uh, you know re- Renaissance. There there was a lot of you know, it was the same time that this was becoming a science. So you have a lot of classical paintings of it. Oh, yeah. Like that would have been about the same period that uh, Burke and Hare were doing their shit. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, well, extending maybe a little into early, that period. They're yeah. they're later. But, yeah. you know, they, they would have paintings of that sort of stuff that that sort of, you know, there there was a lot of art of that work. Okay. Uh, but it, it also feels just incredibly Gen X-y to me. You know, this oh. movie just as a statement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is definitely that. <laughs> like, if not necessarily sexualized, certainly a uh, an elevation of self-destruction. It is self-destruction as sort of this form of atonement, as this form of uh, doing the right thing. You're, you, you're accountable through your own self-destruction. You self-destruct to make amends for the bad things that you've done uh, or that others have done. Yeah. It it kind of evolves into that. It sort of starts out as self-destruction mm. to prove I'm right. Well, and because it's cool. <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> and all of that is very Gen X-y. That's supremely Gen X. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's cool that this is something we've talked about a few times, the exploration of liminal spaces. This is very literally liminal because it's, you know, the, the area between life and death. Uh, the mind's liminal spaces. Yeah, the um, one thing I got from this movie is that uh, brains be weird. Sure, I mean obviously this is not written by a scientist. It's got no. <laughs> this is not a science fiction movie. It's sort of a fantasy film, uh, horror yeah. fantasy. It's about as science fictiony as Ghostbusters is. Yeah, it's it's Ghostbustersy tech. I mean it it. It's written to have sort of a science fiction concept. You you have all of the scientific methods that they use. We know exactly all of the, uh, you know, the ways they put them under, the way they bring them back. All of that's, you know, relatively sturdy. It's just the the way all of it manifests. It it feels more psychological. It's it's sort of a, it's it's dealing in metaphor. It's people dealing with their Catholic guilt come manifest into reality or. You know, some of them are not Catholic, so it's just their core memories, mm-hmm. the things that they feel bad about. Yeah, exactly, which they come to the – what I feel is wrong conclusion that these memories are manifesting themselves in reality when it's yeah. very clearly a, hallucina- a hallucination caused by the brain damage that they're suffering from repeatedly dying and coming back to life. Yeah, p- potentially a, an element of brain damage that's uh, sort of opening them up. Uh, but it, it's it's sort of a thing of just it's them tapping into core memories and just being completely unable to put them down once they've done so. Like they, they put themselves fully into the situation of something that is already haunting them. That's like literally the thing that haunts them through every day of their life. And then it's like, oh, how do I 
stop thinking about it now that I've currently re-experienced it in this really uh, dramatic way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of feel that Kevin Bacon's character, ha- I kind of feel like he had forgotten about his thing until it came back to him. Well, it's but- him. It, it, it really underlines what a goody-goody he is, that his only like major regret and the only thing that really haunts him is some bullying he did when he was like seven <laughs> like minor ass bullying too comparatively I mean, it seems speaking like, well yeah it seems like it was nasty but you know he was seven you know yeah. he was elementary school he was grade two uh it, it's so nothing compared to I mean, I love what's going on with Kiefer sutherland yeah, i love how it's really nothing because we find out that the girl is like who he bullied doesn't even remember it is like oh well okay yeah i guess i would argue that too i don't think that she doesn't remember it she she remembers it but she's like politely not remembering it when he first okay yes discussion that they have (laughs) yeah so one thing i would say very beautifully shot the the visuals of this movie are fucking incredible oh Uh, definitely both just in terms of visual design and the the cinematography is amazing it's a yan de bont we've talked about a few times he worked with schumacher quite a bit mm-hmm. uh also the director of speed uh most famously for us you know we haven't covered it but he was the cinematographer on roar where oh. he got, you know attacked by a lion of course as oh, most we people do on roar the one day. oh yeah it's a great movie it's so good <laughs> we could uh, call this episode the uh the neon death themed episode there's a lot of neon death. There's there are uh, things in this. It's interesting in terms of the contrast morally. Uh, this movie is so deeply moral and Catholic and dealing with guilt and things that you've done wrong. It's the bio zombie movie, too. Uh, man, nobody really <laughs> gives a shit about anything they've ever done. Nobody cares about the, the guilt that they have. It's everybody's proudly scum. Oh, yeah. Nobody learns anything until arguably the seconds before their death and even then it's debatable if they learned yeah i don't think anybody learns a lesson in that movie that's not a lesson learning kind of film this is all lessons this is a very lessony kind of movie so in 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 addition to how beautifully shot it is it's also so beautifully lit just a rembrandt inspired very classical it it all sort of looks renaissance painting-esque yeah, and every every color of the lighting that they use means something. I love that. Mm-hmm. Well, most of the characters have their own particular lighting uh, behind them. So, like, our, our Kiefer Sutherland character, Nelson, he has blue lighting all the time. Oh, uh, yeah. Especially associated with all of the flatlining stuff. Uh, you'll get orange lighting for... Uh, uh, peaceful sequences, you know, stuff that's sort of uh, exterior to all of their drama. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Julia Roberts, hers is red, isn't it? Uh, hers is deep red once uh, she gets into the dreams or yeah. into the, uh, the the stuff with her dad. Yeah, which I mistakenly thought was a husband at first. And like, I thought the picture that she had of the of the army guy and the little girl mm. was a husband and a daughter that are gone, but no, it's, it's her, it's yeah. her and her dad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I oh yeah. I never really got that impression. <laughs> I so, did. And I don't know why, because the movie doesn't make it seem yeah. that way. Yeah. No, I have no idea. Uh, so the, the opening shots are panning across this, this famous sculpture in Chicago, 
uh, the fountain of time. And they do it in a time lapse, kind of a, a Godfrey Reggio, Koyaanisqatsi-esque time lapse of uh, water and stars and stuff. Mm-hmm. Which is cool because it's the fountain of time and it's this, uh, you know, metaphorically for the movie as they're tapping back into their core memories and uh, uh, returning to the fountain, you know, the the, the fount of uh, all of their modern anxieties. Their, uh, it, it is sort of a time travel movie in a weird sort of way. They're tra- time traveling within their brains. Yeah, I love the music in this, too. Mm-hmm. Quite nicely uh, uh, scored. I, it's someone notable. Uh, crap, who was it? Uh, James Newton Howard, who's a, a pretty he major. Uh, he's a pretty major composer. He's definitely got a handful of Oscars. Uh, oh, he's he's never won an Oscar. He's been nominated nine times. Oh, wow. shit. That sucks. Yeah. (laughs) So like he did The Dark Knight. That's kind of his big famous one now. It's uh, co-produced with uh, Hans Zimmer. Oh, I can see that Uh, because this the score for this is like this cool, like late 80s, early 90s industrial music, but like with Latin uh, Catholic chanting sounding noises. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, this is the same year he did the score for Pretty Woman, which was pretty successful at the time. Uh, that was his first uh, uh, big one. He got an Oscar nomination the next year for Prince of Tides, the Streisand movie. Did you ever see that? I never saw that. I never saw Pretty nah. Woman either, actually. Uh, I think I've seen Pretty Woman. Not in many years. I don't recall enjoying it. I did not love Prince of Tides either. It's okay. Very middle brow. It's about her as a psychiatrist to oh. Nick Nolte, I want to say. I don't remember. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, he did the score for The Fugitive, for Dante's Peak, <laughs> Waterworld. These are all movies that I've seen and don't recall the score or even what type of music was in the background <laughs> he also did most of the uh, m night Shyamalan ones his early stuff like all of the early ones up to oh. last airbender even oh wow okay yeah. uh i don't know <laughs> he's one of those big names he's done a lot of stuff that you know or that you've seen yeah, yeah well I, I mean i like this one i know that yeah, it's pretty cool i like this one uh so our our first character, I, I would say our main character in the film is Kiefer Sutherland's uh, Nelson Wright. I never got what his last name was. I thought he was, I thought Nelson was his last name and he was Dr. Nelson. Right. It's mostly just Nelson. Everyone refers yeah. to him as Nelson. Uh, and he's in front of the university or maybe it's the museum at this point because they're, they're pretty close together. Uh, we, we sort of spend most of our time at either Loyola University or the Museum of Science and Industry, which I guess is closed at this time, undergoing renovations, because that's where they're doing all their flatlining. I think it's amazing that this place is closed, and yet they never even really come close to getting caught. Yeah, there, there's a couple times where they say, shh, be quiet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, nothing happens. <laughs> But they'll also do, live, damn you, live! And you know, nobody's <laughs> showing up with a flashlight or anything. There's supposedly guards, we're told, at a couple times, but it never feels that way. It's wild that this is such a quiet, contemplative movie about 
near-death experiences that's shot like an action movie. It's very hyperactive. It is that. <laughs> so Kiefer Sutherland, Nelson, he's looking out over the water and he says, today is a good day to die. Opening line of the film, which is perfect. <clears throat> Mirrored by the final line, I think, which is, it wasn't such a good day to die. Yeah, that's what he says. <laughs> <laughs> and the other guy, we're, we're introduced to our other really main character, uh, Kevin Bacon, as David Labraccio. And his name does come up. They they definitely yes. say it a few times. Because he gets called fellatio by the, oh, right. by the little girl. Which is funny because she wouldn't have actually bullied him. It would have oh. been him bullying her. And I don't know what he would have been saying to her that's similar to that, right? Yeah, but I think he his subconscious was like, this is what a bully oh, yeah. would call me. This, If I were a bully, this is what I would have called myself then. <laughs> oh, even better, yes. But he's such a good guy. Like, it's he's such the, the perfect good guy in this movie. It is really telling that his only real chief regret is being mean to a girl when he was in elementary school. I mean, it really shows what a golden god Kevin Bacon is in this movie. Yeah, I mean, we see him breaking the rules to save somebody's life in his introduction. Right. He's doing this frantic ER shift and he's like, no, I'm going to do this to save this person. Like, look, you're just going to get yourself in trouble. You don't know this person. Like, no, so, this, this is my job. This is what I want to do. What I like about this scene that kind of makes me laugh, uh, that kind of shows the signs of the times. They're mm. like saying, oh, my God, the, all the operating rooms are full. They're not going to be open for another 10 minutes. And if this was in 2023, <laughs> yeah. it'd be like. 10 minutes. Oh, 10 that minutes. That's nothing. That is a fucking golden. Oh my god, I thought yeah. I'd be waiting for days. Yeah, it's uh it definitely shows how different the times are. Uh but yeah, they're also med students, so I don't know what yeah. what sort of rush everything is, but it is very unclear how any of the med student stuff works. It's taught the the med school experience here is much like that of a uh, high school experience in most teen movies where it's like yeah sometimes they happen to be near a class or they're <laughs> they're all hanging around in the school you know, there's classes happening sometime in the background that we're not seeing i guess yeah because you know you can't you can't make a dramatic thing about a guy teaching a class well you I mean, can and there that. are movies about that and but this isn't about good. that no this isn't that kind of movie no so one of our other guys, we've got Oliver Platt as Randall Steckel. I like him I a lot. He's so funny. <laughs> he, he's, he, I like him. He, uh, yeah, he, he's like, I guess he's kind he's, he's the voice of reason, I think, where uh, Kevin Bacon's the voice of morality here. He's just sort of an audience surrogate. He, he is the one who is uh, sort of commenting on everything at all times. He's doing his uh, tape recording throughout the whole movie that's his uh well diary of a surgeon to be I'm like mm, no no that sounds stupid forging of a surgeon no that's too pretentious <laughs> genesis of a young surgeon there it is, is that's is, the yeah, one that's the one yeah. <laughs> and he even kind of laughs at himself he's like yeah i know i'm being a pretentious asshole uh, and it is sort of his job throughout the movie to to comment on all of this stuff because he keeps doing this recording around people. Like he's doing this recording during all of the flatlining, even though he's the one who's like, no, we're not going to do this. Absolutely not. 
Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's doing it. They want him to do it. They're like keep telling him it's like record, yeah. record. He's like, I don't even want to be a part of this. Right. Well, like he is both recording. He's doing his voice recording, and then uh, Jack. I think is it Jack? Joe. Jack. Joe. Joe. Yeah. Is of course on the camera because uh, he's he's got a camera thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, him on cameras. Uh, <laughs> he's yeah. gross. He's a cameraman. He's a gross guy. He's a gross guy. He's he's not good. I want to know what Steckel's guilt would have been if we had seen it. Yeah, I want. Well, no, he mentions it. He says what it would have been. We'll, oh, we'll get to that later. Okay. <laughs> there is a point where he says, "Oh man, it's a good thing I didn't, or we'd be dealing with this." <laughs> so in the Museum of Science and Industry, where we see Kiefer hanging out, uh, and it's totally under renovations. We see this important triptych, and we're going to return to it as the final shot of the movie. So it's obviously significant thematically. It's Prometheus stealing fire from God to deliver it to man. Basically, the whole point of what Kiefer thinks he's doing. Yes, exactly. This is uh, Kiefer or Nelson sees himself as a Prometheus type, uh, which is telling also in that he kind of sees himself as a god. Mm-hmm. And we find out later that he's probably as term he's probably the worst doctor in the whole group, but definitely thinks he's the best. And it's really just the ideas, man. Well, he's he he is uh, very interested in theory, but he doesn't care about people. Uh, he he's very misanthropic. We get a very clear impression of him as not being someone who cares that much about people. Because when he's talking to uh, Dave, uh, to Kevin Bacon's character, shortly, you know, about him quitting school or being kicked out of school, he's like, man, why why did you do that? What's wrong with you? You, you could have just let this person die. Who, who are they to you? Yeah, yeah, you don't know them. It's like, we're doctors. We're, we're do- doctors. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> know any we only these. save the patients we know. Yeah. So uh, I, I just love all of the iconography in this museum. There's that giant fucking Prometheus, or no, the, the giant head of Mercury. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that uh, we, we go past that's just this huge ominous head. It's like the uh, Olmec Indian head in uh, The Simpsons. It's like this museum feels like it belongs in the uh, in the Batman and Robin version of Gotham City. Mm-hmm. With all the crazy sculptures everywhere. I didn't see – for some reason, it didn't register to me as a museum either. I thought it was a church he was doing all this. Well, I think it's because it's a museum associated with this Catholic university. Right. Well, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I, like, I, I think the Museum of Science and Industry is, like, intricately linked with Loyola University. And it's a Catholic private university, but, like, not – no, not uh, not like a Brigham Young University thing. Mm-hmm. They're kind of questionable in terms of some academics. It's, you know, a very well-respected research university. Okay, okay. And uh, so uh, one of our other main characters, Julia Roberts, as Rachel Manis, uh, is she's introduced actually interviewing people about their own near-death experiences. Yeah, and it's interesting that they all talk about different things, and we'll see our main characters all see different things in different ways, and we see it through their eyes in different ways, which I think is cool. 
yeah, there are some basic cliches. They talk about floating. They talk about mm-hmm. feel, seeing this tunnel of light. But it's all, all of them are experiencing their own version of it that sort of has basic earmarks, but it's a totally different experience because it's about the experiences that they've personally had. Mm-hmm. It's It's not so much about a new experience that they're having, but about their brain going back to a core experience, at least in terms of how we see it. Mm-hmm. So then the other place is, of course, that fucking huge vaulted autopsy room. Uh, the, <laughs> the Renaissance art all the way around it and the students just performing these autopsies. I just assumed that this room was a Schumacherism, but I think it'd be... I'm Now I'm thinking it's just the kind of thing that would exist in a Catholic university. Well, yeah, I really have no idea. I would have to assume that this is an actual room in the university. I have no idea if it's a room that would be used for this purpose. So, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it'd be very easy to keep sanitized. No, and it just doesn't seem... I don't know, it's weird. (laughs) It it doesn't look like the right sort of place for it. Uh, it, it just. But, you know, it's cool. It looks fucking interesting. Oh, definitely. Um... This is, yeah, every shot in this, in every location is visually interesting, even if it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. I, I just really love the aesthetic of all of this stuff, and it's it, it does all look very classical. Uh, it, it has a churchy feel to all of it, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So you've got uh, Nelson and Steckel. They're, they're partnered together, and... Steckel is like, no, I will not do this dying thing with you. I don't know why you think we're going to do that. That's absolutely absurd. He's the most. Like, I'm not going to do this. Yeah. And there's Billy Baldwin, uh, first introduced here in the autopsy sequence, as Joe Hurley, who is partnered with uh, uh, Rachel. And, of course, he's hitting on her because that's his whole thing. That is his entire thing. It, well, no, sorry. One half of his entire thing is hitting on women. The, the other half is what he does with them. Yeah, his whole persona is womanizing. Uh, Joe yeah. has nothing else to him other than sex. He is completely addicted to sex. And he probably isn't that great of a doctor either. Uh, I kind of feel like their doctor skill is inversely proportional to uh, how much of a dick they are. I don't really get that impression. The the thing is, we get very brief impressions of how most of them are. Billy Baldwin, what we do learn is he's very knowledgeable. Like, he's got all of the information down. We we have these little bits where he is, like, it, where he's flirting with her is he's sort of, like, not paying much attention, but she keeps pointing things and, like, he can immediately identify everything. It's like, oh, yeah, cause of death, this, this, this. He knows all of the stuff. It's just... He's disinterested because he's always thinking about sex. Right. So it's not that he's bad. It's that he's not personally invested. Uh, it's it's what all of them have is that they're all, their minds are all on other things. Yeah, they, other they than are bacon. very true. David, obviously, he's he's the perfect golden boy. Mm-hmm. So uh, Kiefer comes over there and she is also, no, I'm not going to do the the dying and coming. He's like, come on, I need you. You're going to do the inject, injections and IV. You're the best at it. They all have their own specialty. 
Yep, yep. And as always, I literally can't do this without you. Yeah. But I'm going to attempt it anyway. We need the whole team, but I'm going to do it because I need to get famous and I'll die to do so. (laughs) Yep, I need to get famous. I mean, prove my point. Yeah. So he goes to catch up with Dave. Dave's rappelling out of his window because he doesn't want to pay his rent while he's been suspended from school. (laughs) This is such like a this is such like a college teen movie thing. Yeah, it's got a real action movie sort of setup to it with this guy. You know, he's rappelling out his window. Uh, He's been suspended for four months and he's like, no, I'm just quitting school. Yeah, like like screw the system there. It's all corrupt. I can't even save a person. And Kiefer's like, come on, just wait out the four months. You'll be fine. You can go back in. It'll be like nothing happened. Yeah, whatever. You know, this is the first time we see that rippling watery light effect uh the the whole wall is is covered with this rippling water effect even though uh, i don't think there's water there it's sort of projected on it we get this a bunch of times in the more peaceful scenes of uh camaraderie Mm -hmm. so he's it's like look i I, he's also a no like i the last person i want to kill is you right now (laughs) hey i don't want to die I want to come back with the answers to death and life. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this is the first time he actually says they actually say or kind of spell out what they're trying to do. Because all the everyone else kind of dances around it like I'm not going to do this thing. Oh, come on and do the thing. It's clearly something he's been talking to them about quite a bit already. And like obviously with. Uh, Julia Roberts, he's referring to specific things he wants her to do. It's like, come on, I need you to handle the injections and the IV. <laughs> but we don't know specifically what he's going to be handling them for. He's, he's like, yeah, I'm going to die and come back. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, Kevin Bacon rightly thinks that this is fucking insane. Yeah. He's like, look, all of the others can definitely get me dead. I just need you to be able need you to be there so that I can come back from the dead. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not worried about the others being able to kill me. (laughs) I I do think it's, (laughs) I do think it's great that like that we're on the night of the thing and he hasn't convinced a single person to come along with him. Yeah. And it's sort of the same. it, It works much the same way. The climax does when he does it again, kind of. (laughs) <laughs> it's very much like, come on, you got to come with me. Julia Roberts is already on board, and so is all these other people. And then, hey, Julia Roberts, you got to come with me. Kevin Bacon's already on board. Yes, come on. Uh, I, I got permission from Dad. <laughs> Ooh. I, I love the look of the area. I, I, I love this, just this honeyed sunset uh, and the steam in the street. While uh, Dave's packing up his army jeep. Oh yeah, he's got his army, army jeep. jeep. Great. <laughs> I love it. Also, just just an excellent character trait for him having this fucking army jeep, but being uh, someone who uh, can do mountain climbing out the the window of his dorm. That he is <laughs> a totally different vibe from the rest of them. I, I do like that his window is right where the eye of the mural of the painting would be. That is rad. Yeah, just all of the design in this movie is so good. Like you said, it it's sort of a precursor. It's a, a set-in-reality version of uh, the 
Schumacher Batman Gotham. <laughs> this is a more realistic version of it. So Rachel, meanwhile, there's this lady that we'll, we're going to return to her. She is poor and she's dying and she feels so bad for her. It's this Mrs. Amsler. Is right. And uh, yeah, and she's like, I've said goodbye to every or is that later where she's like, I've said goodbye to everyone. I think that's later. Okay. So she's here. There's this very popular girl who's uh, also in the same ward, and she's just surrounded by bouquets and bouquets of flowers. Oh, and she's right. sitting there listening to headphones. And there's this poor dying old lady a few beds down who's got nothing and no one. So you know, Julia Roberts steals some of the flowers from that lady, from the the girl, and brings them to the old lady. Oh, that was so sweet and sad. It's she's so tragic, Mrs. Amsler. Uh, it, it feels like sort of just a, a guilt ray out to the audience about anyone who you might potentially be neglecting in your life who's old, because it's like just this thread running through this movie about guilt. <laughs> and she's like, I don't want to be buried on a Saturday because it costs one hundred and fifty dollars more. I was like, oh, this is brutal. <laughs> So sad. Uh, and, and you know she's dying because she just didn't have the money for health care, too. Well, she's, she is there getting this uh, student health care. I think this would be sort of a free health care kind of thing. Oh, but, OK. You know, th- that's why she you know, she she can't afford to be buried on a Saturday. Uh, it was like, oh, man, <laughs> what a life. Yeah. We also see Billy Baldwin or Joe. Uh, banging some chick and secretly taping it. And that's really key. He is always taping it in secret without permission. With hidden cameras that he looks at and basically winks at the camera. He's always looking at himself. So like we we see a few of these tapes and it's always just, it's mostly him and him looking back up at the camera periodically. And like, ew, (laughs) what a weird dude. Yeah, you can't even really see the woman in the tape most of the time. It's kind of like um, Always Sunny. Uh, Dennis. This is a Dennis thing. I think Dennis does this. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised if Dennis did this exact thing. And he has a whole library of tapes. I'm fairly certain that is also a thing Dennis does, maybe based on this. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) Yeah. So, of course, everyone does end up showing up to Nelson's suicide party at the museum. Yeah, but they're all like... uh... They're talking to each other. It's like, yeah, I bet you 10 bucks he doesn't do it. He chickens out. Right. Joe bets uh, Steckel 10 bucks. It's like, he's definitely going to chicken out. Uh, and like, it, we were kind of introduced to everybody knowing about everyone else's shit, where Steckel is chastising Hurley for it's like, man, you really need to stop sleeping around with all of these women. Uh, like, he's completely aware of uh, this guy as a scumbag. He's not aware of the tapes yet, though. Is he uh, remember, not aware? No, because we because we see him finding out, and he's like, "Dude, that's fucked up." Basically. Okay, because I I know uh, he's just aware of how gross he is. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes, for sure. <laughs> Big shock. So they, they're they're kind of going over the basic plan, uh, or uh, I think Kiefer shows up finally, and he's like, "Okay, we're gonna." Put me under with some nitrous and sodium pentothal, and he'll wear this refrigerated blanket 
to get him to 86 degrees. I love that freaking neon refrigerated blanket that Mr. Freeze would have made. It's super cool, the blue neon, and then when it changes to heating, because I, I think it also heats up to keep yep. them at different levels, it goes red, which is also rad. Yeah, like, I want one of those for real. Yeah, Although, it's 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 so cool looking. Although, uh, yeah, it, it might be uh, the sort of thing that, like, burns your house down. Yeah, probably. So at 86 degrees, they will hit him with the defibrillator, which will stop his heart. So he says, and, when the EEG flatlines and the brain is dead, I'll be exploring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Will you? Will you? You... You literally don't know what's going to happen to you when you do this at this point. (laughs) He's going to jump into his core memories, as it turns out. Yeah. So the idea is then they'll bring the temperature up to 93, hit him again. Or no, they they hit him with some adrenaline, one cc of adrenaline, and then wait one minute while he explores (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) and hit him with the defibrillator again. And Rachel shows up then. She's the last one to turn up, I think. And yes, like, yeah, and you'll you'll come back with brain damage. (laughs) She's right. Which is it's interesting because it's a thing that they say could happen again and again and again. But none of them ever come to the conclusion that it is brain damage is what happened. No, they do. There is a point where several of them are saying, well, like it's when he reveals that it's all happening because it's they all have these fucking uh visions afterwards but none of them talk about it to anyone so it's after everybody has died and come back and is dealing with them that finally is like okay so this is a thing that's happening and everyone's like oh you son of a bitch and this has to be brain damage but then they kind of just leave that on the table and it's like well maybe it actually is ghosts i don't know (laughs) Kiefer thinks it's ghosts Kiefer definitely thinks it's ghosts although Uh, he's the one with the biggest reason to well, and also, he does seem to be maybe the most Catholic of the bunch. He seems to be just consumed with his guilt. Yes. But Nelson is like, no, the by be, by keeping the body temperature stable at 93, we won't have that problem. I don't really know why he feels that the, the body temperature is going to keep uh, brain damage from happening by dying and coming back. But, you know. That's what he figures. written by scientists. <laughs> <laughs> so Steckle's like, why do you want to do this? Which What's even the point? a very good question. Yeah. Well, Nelson's answer is philosophy has failed. Religion has failed. Now it's up to the physical sciences. I and can, there is a point in my life where I would have come to that exact same conclusion. Uh, I, I'm Gen X adjacent. I'm like right on the border of Gen X yeah. and millennial. So. I'm kind of a little bit of both, and in my younger years, I would have believed, I would have agreed with Kiefer fully here. Well, yeah, again, this is what I say about this being such a Gen X movie, just the ultimate Gen X statement. (laughs) Like, that statement, the philosophy has failed, religion has failed, now it's up to the physical sciences. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That, That is Gen X. Yep. And he's prepared this letter. To absolve everyone of responsibility, just in case. And Stegel's like, that's not going to help. Yeah, this letter <laughs> doesn't on. mean shit. <laughs> this letter won't help anything. And he's also like, 
this isn't for mankind. This is for Nelson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Nelson's like, hey, fame is inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> Not even denying it. It's like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, well, come on, though. <laughs> and uh, Joe, always practical scumbag. Nelson, if you die, can I have your apartment? <laughs> His apartment's pretty nice. They all have kind of incredible apartments, honestly. Each one that we see. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think we see Dave's apartment, but I think we see all of the others. You're right. We don't see Dave's apartment. My we only see him climb the... out of it. <laughs> Maybe he never went back. Maybe he lives in his truck now. He could. He could. I, I'm i not really clear on how long this takes place. Like, what sort of stretch of time this takes place over. I feel like about... A week or so, give or take. I kind of always felt like it was longer than that, but maybe. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. It's it's not clear. So Joe is filming, of course. Filming is his thing. <laughs> and Steckel, he's like, no, I'm. I, I. He nopes out. I'm not doing this. But then he comes back because he almost gets caught by a guard. So this is the only time that it's an issue. <laughs> Someone's coming, so he runs back. But it turns... Oh, yeah, no, it's Dave, because Dave hasn't shown up yet. Oh, Who's right. David? Someone's coming, a guard. Oh, shit, there are actually guards here. Oh, no, there aren't. And it's like, oh, it's just Dave. Thank God you're here to talk some sense into these people. And Dave's like, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I've, I've changed my mind. I'm going to do it. He's like, what? <laughs> Poor Steckle. He's like, I, I, I was sure you were going to be on my side for this. Yeah. I was sure he was going to check it out. I just showed up because I was sure we weren't ha- we weren't going to have to do this. Yeah. But now he's here and he's taping. So it's like, well, we got to do this. And, you know, they, they go through with it. The machine flatlines. Dave hits him with the defibrillator. Rachel removes the mask and he's fucking dead. And Steckle and Hurley both freak out. Yeah. They're like, we, we should... We, we got to uh, go back to this right now. We're all going to be uh, kicked out of medical school for this. This is the stupidest thing we've ever done. You know, if we just uh, put him back in right now, uh, we can just pretend he doesn't need to know. But That's Dave and Rachel point. are like, no, we're, we're doing this. This is science. Is this where we see uh, where we see what uh, Nelson sees? Yeah. First, there's his spirit flying over these fields of flowers. And then there's this boy or a bunch of boys and a dog running through the field. But we don't see a lot more yet. We, we, we don't really get an idea of the damage. It's, it, it seems peaceful at first. Yeah, yeah. I like the slow reveal over time of what's going on in this scene. Because in this part, it does look like it's just a bunch of kids playing and having fun with their dog. Yeah, it's the moments before his loss of innocence. Yeah, the 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 culminating thing that sort of defines his life. It's just before it happened. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it starts to go dark and traumatic. Like we get to the point where it's uh, in the the trees, like in, in that little hump where uh, the the dog is, and they've chased that one boy, Billy Mahoney, of course, who we don't know for quite some time. That is such a uh, remember this kid from school person's name. Perfect like, name, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, they they start to revive him right when it goes dark, 
like the sky goes dark it starts to be the trauma area we see that one sequence there is a tunnel it's not really a tunnel of light it's just like a subway tunnel and billy mahoney is there we see him but we don't really know who he is but it's while Kiefer's being revived yeah at first i thought that the that the kid was actually Kiefer's bully right I mean, it kind of makes sense. We we have no real context for it for quite some time. No, he doesn't tell us. And, and we don't get the tools to figure it out ourselves for quite a while. Right. Which I think is really cool. Yeah, it's, it's a just... cool slow reveal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they leave and they're cheering. They're like, woo, we fucking did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's trying to explain it. It's like, well, it's not really something that can be put into words. Yeah. Uh, they they all head downtown in Dave's Jeep for some food. And Nelson's feeling, like, high on life. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Just, he feels everything. He's like, I can feel the city. I can feel the hum. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's kind of, I think it's here or later that it's kind of hinted that he feels and hears things that they don't also hear. Yeah, or it's, maybe it's that's. Sort of- it's sort of revealed here when everybody else is inside and he's staying out at the truck. So, like, first there, he, he's talking about how he feels everything so much and it's all so real to him. And Dave's like, look, man, I'm an atheist. I don't believe any of this spiritual bullshit. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. And uh, the, they all go inside except him. And Joe and Rachel have that argument inside about wanting to go next. And they start oh, one-upping yes. each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's always, a, for the first half of the movie, it's always like a competition to see who can go next and who's willing to go Be under dead the, the longest. longest. Yeah. So it's like and, and, 110, 120, 130. So Joe wins betting 130. Yeah. And the plot's like, you guys are betting with your actual lives. <laughs> Come on. Yep. Uh, and... Also, each time it's Rachel always being the one who wants to go, and then one of the guys just one upping her until it's a, a number she she's unwilling. Yeah, the, it, she even brings it up later on. Like, why does everybody seem to not want me to go under? Yeah, why is everyone trying to protect me? It's like because you're the girl, obviously. <laughs> so it, it's please. I think it's also because you know they know that she's one of the best doctors and they need her conscious uh to bring them back right they they do kind of need her <laughs> yes and yes and so outside it's when they're having this discussion that outside nelson is starting to have some different types of hallucinations both visual and oral suddenly neon is how i described this scene yeah it's very blue and you have those cool demon murals on the yeah, wall. Yeah, uh, which they, are like... Graffiti demons. Yeah, like nothing's done to them, but the way they're lit makes it feel like they're coming to life. Mm-hmm. And his dog, his his childhood dog, just all broken, crawling, sort of uh, broken on the ground uh, towards him. And so it's, it's this core memory, but it's all sort of breaching into day-to-day reality and he looks well i mean to use a to use an analogy that's very overused he looks like he saw a ghost yeah he's extremely weirded out and we get like it, it jumps back into the memory 
we get the running up into the trees and then we don't see the in-between but we see nelson as an adult falling out of the tree right like falling downwards out of the sky through branches and then he wakes up hyperventilating still like like i like the use of fake outs uh in this because it still feels like he's a victim and like something happened to him rather than something he did yeah it's it's him atoning for it so he wakes up uh, rachel is there she's caring for him you know he's wrapped up in his blanket and he hits on her he's like no no (laughs) (laughs) i think that kind of happens with every single guy in the movie every single one of them is like so how about you? I mean, like, I don't think so. <laughs> it's already Joe. Now, now Nelson. I think she maybe has a thing with Dave later. Maybe. She has a thing with Dave. Um, yeah. And it's implied that her and Nelson dated. Okay. So it's like uh, rope. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Which, which is why Nelson starts being all weird when Dave finally goes under. Yeah. And this, uh, uh, Joe would definitely be the guy in the box. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Steph would be like, how did it feel when you did it? Oh. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Joe, of course, is we, we see his huge library of tapes, although the one he pulls out is not one of the sex tapes, but his engagement party tape, which kind of frames it in an even nastier way. Honestly, Yeah, it's in with the sex tapes. It's the only thing that's not a sex tape in with a huge trove of them that are all sex tapes. And he pulls that out and puts it on while he phones up his fiance, Anne. Her ex-fiance, I guess. Or... She's still his fiance at this point. Oh, wait. So hold on. Does this mean that her breaking up with him happened in reality? And it yes. is like, I thought that was a memory. No, that happens in the movie. Oh, shit. It's... I thought he was remembering that happening. No, no, he's in the midst of a bunch of memories, and then he's really surprised when she's real. Because he's like, wait a second, are you real? And it's like, wait, what are you watching? Yeah, no, that's real. Oh. She showed up. I thought that was an extension of the dream sequence. No, no, no. Oh. Now, this is like, this is a loaded gun. You know, we see this cabinet of tapes that are all clearly marked, and one's engagement party, and the rest of them are names of women he's had sex with, and they're all just, like, above the TV. And everybody knows, so, yeah. I'm just waiting for one of them to be a soccer tape. Right. And he's he's a little worried, because, you know, he's the next to go under, and he thinks, you know, something might happen. So he calls her up to say that, it's like, ah, I really wish we, we got married last summer instead. And I do wonder if that's sort of the, the guilt thing, is that that's when he started just sleeping around constantly. Oh, because be. he, because he he sort of realized he's got this gap of time of quote unquote freedom where he can just do whatever he wants. So he's sort of just done that this entire year since then, and that his guilt, as as we'll see, is sort of about all of the his sexual experiences or all his experiences with women. But uh, he doesn't. I I don't know if he's registered. That it's bad yet? Like, he he hasn't... I don't he hasn't got he... a lot of self-examination. <laughs> no, I mean, he leaves these tapes right out in the open where anyone can see him. I don't think he's 
thought about this at all. Because he's certainly not even slightly bothered when he goes under. He really enjoys it. They have a hard time bringing him back because he's having such a good time. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I I sort of wonder about that, where uh, what sort of the timeline is for his philandering. One of the things that's notable is that when he's having this conversation with Anne, we have that tranquil water light, you know, the the rippling water on her side of the phone, but not his. Oh. That was interesting. Yeah, yeah. So when he's put under, he re-experiences his birth, which is pretty odd. (laughs) He's the only one who has that. Brains be weird. I, I buy it. And all of his stuff is just experiences with women. Uh, all all of these experiences of him being a beautiful baby and women surrounding him. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, is uh, key to the way he lives his life and the way he yes. acts with women and just uh, him being a gross guy. And yeah, they have a real hard time getting him back. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... So after they get him back, the, this is where they have that cool diner scene. This incredible fucking red neon tubing diner. Oh, yeah. Very unrealistic space, but it's just <laughs> got it, it's this diner that feels very movie. Like it, it's it does not feel something that feels like it would be in uh, real in reality. It's a cinematic reality. Just this huge, empty open space. Nobody else there. Just bright red neon tubes in the walls a schumacher diner yeah very schumachery and this is where steckel has this great line it's like we finally found something worthwhile you know the uh, disco wasn't good enough but this is something to upstage those fucking baby boomers <laughs> and the waitress is like hey watch your language <laughs> yeah the, the waitress pops up out of nowhere watch your mouths <laughs> <laughs> And Joe tells you, like, hey, I came back from the dead last night. She's like, so what? (laughs) She doesn't think that's great at all. (laughs) Yeah, we'll pay your bill. Basically. (laughs) And Dave is still like, I think you're all full of shit. You're you're all misunderstanding what is happening here. Uh, You're obviously just having these hallucinations and. Rachel finally is like, well, I still want to go next. And Dave's like, nobody's going next. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, we we don't need to keep doing this. This is silly. We've done this. You just see what you wanted to see. Which maybe sort of arguably, I I feel like they're not necessarily seeing what they want to see, because I don't think that's necessarily what Nelson wanted to see. I don't think it is. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I do think they're I, I do feel the core memory thing is really key. It's them getting into one of the pillars of their personality and being totally unable to shake it in waking life. Uh-huh. So she proposes her time. Well, I'm going to do a minute, 50 seconds. And Dave is going back and forth with her now. It's like two minutes, two ten, two twenty. So two twenty. I mean, that's the time to beat. So. Uh, she walks out. She's really pissed off. This is like, and you guys just really breaking my balls here. <laughs> I do like his reasoning. This like, hey, I'm the atheist. I could uh, be the control for this experiment. Yeah. Which is fair. Yeah. He's the it only is... one who does not have a specific belief system that would color the experience. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, it makes sense if as much as any of this does. Right. And I think it's this is sort of one of the reasons why I feel like Nelson, even though it's unspoken, maybe has sort of a religious upbringing. Like, I think he was brought up in the system. So he probably uh, lived in different foster homes where he was kind of. uh, (laughs) There uh, is no Santa Claus. Yeah, I mean, he's probably been indoctrinated in various different ways. But his thing with the guilt, because he's talking to Jones like, are you sure there was nothing negative in your experience? Like, I don't understand. It was, it was all great. Hmm. Yeah. And we didn't, we only saw the hints of any negativity in uh, Nelson's experience, but. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's weird. Cause like he, he's realizing like, huh, there's, there's something strange going on there. But uh, yeah, th- this is when Dave goes after Rachel and he's like, come on, I'm going to be the control subject. And what's this obsession with death anyways? <laughs> I really like Rachel's line. It's not an obsession. It's an interest. <laughs> I don't know. To a certain doctorly type, an interest and an obsession can be uh, kind of indistinguishable. It just, you know, I'm just interested in dying and coming back to life. That's all. So interested, I'm willing to get on a bed and actually do it, but not obsessed. Don't don't say that I'm obsessed. Yeah. So Nelson is just walking alone in the rain through just some sketchy alleyways, which is sort of look like the ones that he saw Billy Mahoney in at the end of his first experience. Oh, yeah. And he runs into this homeless lady who just sort of randomly calls him out by names. Right, Nelson? Because in the end, we all know what we've done. <laughs> and he is shook. He's shook. Uh, it's these. We're in the smoky orange streets, steam coming out of the streets. And he, he descends into the blue of the subway, the blue of Nelson's dream state. Yeah, actually, a lot of dreams seem to happen in the subway. Yeah. Uh, everybody has these dreams in the subway. I guess the subway has a liminal space. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. And Nelson goes down to the subway. He thinks he hears and sees his childhood dog again. He starts calling for Champ. He hears, you know, the the same whimpering and uh, barking that, that he recognizes. Like, Champ, Champ. And he starts chasing through for some reason. And it becomes sort of a labyrinth. Yeah. And at this point, I'm still thinking, OK, well, maybe he his guilt is something that he did to the dog. Right. Or and s- he, he's chasing like there, we know there's something with this kid, but is the kid him? Hard to say. Yeah. But he encounters the kid like he's chasing for he's chasing down the, the corridors for the dog and he finds Billy again. Although, again, we still don't know that he's Billy and he doesn't seem to recognize him at first. He's like. Are you lost? And yep, so th- Billy kicks him in the fucking balls. Kicks the fuck out of this grown ass. Well, Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> yeah, he kicks him in the balls and then he just beats the shit out of him. He's lying on the ground. And he is just bullying him. <laughs> Small yeah. child uh, just defeating fully grown Kiefer Sutherland. Jack Bauer. Come on. Jack Bauer, well, CTU. Well, you know, it's not the first time that a smart. It's not the last time that a small child is going to defeat a fully grown Kiefer Sutherland. True, true. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be after him this whole movie. Yeah. 
So the next morning, it's Halloween, Halloween morning. And Steckel is, of course, doing his soliloquy into a tape recorder, as always. Uh, <laughs> it's like, as if we were already dead and had nothing to lose by dying. <laughs> or maybe we were just fucked in the head. <laughs> uh, he, he is weirdly the one I identify with the most. Because I was just that pretentious. Holy shit, I was insufferable. <laughs> I it's love like I'm him. seeing a mirror. Yeah, he's so funny, too. I, I like that he's both pretentious and aware of his pretension. Like, he, he says it and he's like, ah, I'm being such an asshole. And he, he's always aware of what everyone else is doing at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so Joe, meanwhile, picks up this girl, Terry, who had had a near-death experience. And he actually is interested in talking to her about that. Yeah, she's all like, oh, well. Yeah, and of course, she does, at first doesn't want to hear it because everyone approaches her but you know they just make fun of her because that's what people do right and i think this is the girl who rachel took the flowers from i think i think it's oh. terry whose bed it was i think maybe that not. makes this interesting because that means we kind of saw her near-death experience or well we saw her recovering from it anyway yeah so yeah, I, I, I he's other. talking to her and there's a football game on the tv and it turns into one of his sex tapes yeah, that's going to be a thing for him now. Every time he sees a screen. Yeah. So he's seeing the screens all the time. And the screens are always talking to him because the lady on the tape looks at the camera and says, why'd you do this to me, Joe? So, yep. you know, it's starting to haunt him. It's it's actually starting to come around to him, even though initially it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, Nelson, meanwhile, he's... <laughs> In his deep blue apartment with the neon fucking tubing, just like the, <laughs> just like that diner with the red ones. And trick-or-treaters are coming around because it's Halloween and he's getting so spooked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like, oh, there's kids because he keeps thinking it's Billy, but yep. it's Halloween. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although, who goes... Is trick-or-treating in, in an apartment building, like, is that something people do or did? Sometimes. It, it sort of did. depends. I, I've definitely seen apartment buildings where it's done, but oh. usually it's sort of, like, expected. You know, you, you know people are going to be coming. Yeah, I mean, th that's always kind of the thing. If you want to, uh, you can always just opt out of Halloween by turning off your porch light, in theory. But in, theory. in an apartment, you can't. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I, it's certainly a thing I've heard of, but, you know, he's getting spooked by that. And yeah. then it's like noon and uh, we're we're going to the next one. We have uh, Dave doing his turn. So this is interesting because when he goes under, he sees the subway that he hasn't gone into yet. Well, it's weird. He sees a lot of his his experiences is totally different because it starts as a rewind. Yes, we yeah, right. He rewinds basically to the beginning of the movie, if I recall. As, yeah, except we're seeing it as like it's TV footage being rewound of what we've seen previous to this, at least as far as Dave's experienced it. Mm -hmm. And then we have a similar to Nelson thing of the flying over the fields. He's got the snowy mountains. Yes, yes. And then, yeah, it's him on this subway car and there's. All of these children's rhymes going. Uh, but oh, 
not not quite a bullying yet, but then it sort of he fades back into his elementary school, like the playground of his elementary school as a kid. Yeah, yeah, but we don't quite see what's going on here yet. I don't think. Right, and and it sort of goes outside again. So we see Joe seeing one of his sex tapes on the EEG monitor, and then in the camcorder while he's recording, it starts <laughs> talking to him. It's like, oh, what the hell <laughs> at this point i'd be thinking of well i mean they do address it that that is really fucked up that these two people haven't told talked about their hallucin, hallucinations they do address it later so yeah they do address it later but yeah it, it is them being assholes because they are the two least scrupulous people of the group true and also the first two to go which is kind of interesting in its own way also, like, it's seemingly, at this point, it does seem like it's a supernatural thing, because it's windy inside. Yeah, but that's just more Schumacherism. So. Yeah, I know, but it's cool. It's, like, really <laughs> it windy cool. indoors, and it sort yep. of does seem like it's supposed to be. And, of course, they struggle quite a bit bringing Dave back, because Dave's the best guy at bringing people back. Yeah, they, they can't use his skills, so they got to use their own. Yeah, and he's still pretty skeptical overall because like it it took 350 to br- to bring him back ultimately it's a pretty long time they they really struggled so now nelson's like well i'm gonna do four minutes because you know if we're not gonna do uh more than uh, 350 what's the point because we've already done this long right of course <laughs> no sense just going in for the same amount of time that we know that we know that we can recover from and just spending more time there no we got to one up or go go bigger or go home. Yeah. And Rachel's like, fine, I'll do four minutes and 25 seconds. Nelson's like, I'll do five minutes. And Rachel's like, I'm next or I'm out for good. <laughs> so <laughs> everyone's out. Everyone's like, no, I'm out. We're, we're not doing this. I, it doesn't make like you're out for good because we're not doing this again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And Nelson starts to get really petty about it. It's like, hey, this was my idea. You're all just tourists. <laughs> yeah. Despite the fact that he couldn't have done it without any of them. Yeah. Support me to die again. Come on. <laughs> so we have a, a walk and talk with Steckel and Joe where they're, they're just going down the street and he passes that uh, a storefront full of TV screens and they all have different women asking why, Joe? Why? <laughs> Side note, I miss storefronts with a lot of TV screens. Those were fun. You know, I've never actually seen one in real life, but they were great in movies. I mean, I've, I imagine they're still in movies. <laughs> well, I mean, they're also still in Walmart, but you got to go into Walmart. Yeah, that's not the same. It's really not. You know, don't want to do that. So Nelson gets home to his place and there's muddy sneaker prints all over the place. Oh, like, oh, shit. He's he's really physical. He's like leaving marks. And Billy shows up and he has a hockey stick. He beats the crap out of him. He spits on him. It was yep. like that bully thing. It was like he 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 dangles the spit over him for a bit. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, God, that's so <laughs> gross. It's like and I'm thinking it's like an alien thing or an undead thing. And did they really bring this child back from the dead? But no, it's just a gross bully thing. Yeah, it's just a bully thing. It's something that Nelson did as a kid. Yeah, of course. So Dave is still recovering. He's with Rachel. And he says that 
I feel like I felt this force of good protecting me. So you don't need to go under, really. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this is true. I don't feel like he's definitely felt some force of good. Like, no, I, I you know, I, I, there, there was some sort of God there, I'm sure. So listen, Rachel, you just don't need to do it at all. Because I'm <laughs> the and I confirmed it. So I confirmed yeah. that you're right, so you don't have to do it. That's totally how it reads to me. Uh, <laughs> which is like, it just makes her want to go more. Of course and, it does. And she goes to talk to Mrs. Amsler again. And this is the one where she's talking about, like, I've I've said my goodbyes. I'm ready. I'm ready to die. And Rachel's like, yeah, I, I agree. You know, you, you should uh, uh, embrace it if you, you feel that you've done everything you need to do. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Dave is on the elevated train and he is visited by a child who seems to be a bully, not unlike Billy Mahoney, but it's a young black girl. Yeah. Um, and she is, just, I love this scene so much because it is shot like the most horrifying thing. Like the, when we see Dave, it looks like we're seeing him uh, on like, like eight millimeter film projection. Well, it's not that we, we see him through a weird projection. It's that we have light projected onto him through this projector. Like uh, he's in the middle of the train car and this they, they've set up a, a light projector with tape on film, like scotch tape and stuff to kind of uh, fragment the, the lighting a bunch. Yeah, it looks really cool. This is it's probably my favorite bit of lighting in the movie. And there's so much cool stuff. And yeah, we have the deep orange, deep blue light kind of uh, fluctuating in different places. And but yeah, she's just fucking tearing into him. <laughs> but the way she's tearing into him is like more proof that Dave is actually just kind of the least bad of all of them because the insults, I'm assuming that the insults that she's flinging at him are all just retellings of what he said to her. And it's all like fart breath poo-poo face yeah they're they're very childish it is elementary school bullying it's very childlike and it does speak to how good dave is that this is the only bad thing yeah this is (laughs) the worst thing that's haunting him it is the thing that haunts him that he was mean to a girl once in elementary school he's like wow dave is pretty sweet <laughs> all, like every other passenger on the train is like laughing their ass off at, at right. being called a doo-doo head right because the the whole uh, experience shifts around them yeah. around the hallucinations <laughs> uh, I, so, I actually really loved this scene it's so cool it's very interesting and it it does change things around just like wait are all of these people why are two of them being haunted by small bully children while uh joe is just getting his sexual harassment thrown back at him (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah but it's it starts to bring it into focus like well what are they having thrown back at them Uh so of course it's rachel's turn because you know if, if she's not going nobody's going but dave doesn't show up until she's already been under for a minute 20. Yeah, and he's like, okay, okay, bring her back right now. I don't care. We're not doing this. Listen, guys. Yeah, because he realizes that he is having these hallucinations, and it's like, wait a second. Uh, This is not something I was prepared for. This is messed up. Yeah. So we get her full 
visions, which are really creepy at first. It's a Jesus portrait with just this red haze lighting over it. <laughs> it's very intense. And it pulls out to this childhood party, which I guess is her dad coming back from Vietnam, maybe? Oh, yeah, I guess it could have been Vietnam uh, at this point in time. Given the age, because like, she's in college in 1990, so that would be, you know... She, she's That'd be like somewhere in the 70s. Yeah, I'd say probably he's back from Vietnam. And he yep. has obvious PTSD and he's got a heroin addiction. And she basically remembers his suicide and her mom yelling at her, it's your fault. Uh, not for the suicide, but like yeah. she walks up the steps to him in the bathroom where he's doing heroin, which we don't quite see, but it's pretty heavily suggested if, already. If you know about heroin, you can yeah. tell that this is what's happening. If you watch train cool. spotting, you know this. Yeah. So he sees her and he runs outside and he shoots himself in the head. He, he gets in his truck and kills himself. Uh, so th this is the thing that she is haunted by, which is something like totally outside of her control. Uh, the the other three all did something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like there, there's no, you there's no ways that you can blame this on her fairly. Right, it, it's her damage is external, like the the damage in her life, the 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 major baggage that she carries is not something that is like something that she did, although she still has guilt for it because uh -huh. she was a very small child and her mother yelled at her that it was her fault. Yeah, and when you're still developing your brain, that's just going to stay with you forever. Yeah. Yay. So again, they struggle like hell to bring her back. It does ultimately take five minutes. So she really does do uh, the, the five minutes that she said she would. Because mm -hmm. a fuse blows. Right. And they're, they're trying to do it without power. Their, their instruments aren't working, so they can't get readings. Uh, and they're, they're supposed to have a battery backup, but Joe didn't charge it. Of course. So they finally get her stabilized. She's okay. And Dave finally opens up about the hallucinations he's been having. And Joe's like, uh, yeah, so I admit I've been having some of those too. Yeah, and at this point, it's like, what? And you haven't fucking told us? And Nelson's like, yeah, so there's this this kid who's been showing up. I think his name's Billy Mahoney, and he's been beating the shit out of me. Somehow we brought our sins back physically. Which, again, underlines to me that he is the really Catholic one. He's yes. the one who decides it's sins. Yeah, he, he decides that this is a supernatural thing. Yeah. So in the restroom... Uh, Rachel is cleaning up and the lights change from blue to red. And all of a sudden her dead dad is there. So we're, we're seeing all of them getting the hauntings. Nelson is back in his apartment and we got the blue light there and he's just sitting in the middle of the room getting ready for Billy to show up. Yeah, he's holding like a like a knife or something. He's sitting cross-legged right in the center of the room. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to defend myself from you, Billy. <laughs> We get a bit more of the flashback, but again, not quite the whole thing. Yeah. Although it's much more clear that it's uh, him as this toe-headed boy <laughs> screaming <laughs> at him rather than be him being the boy in the tree now. Yeah, yeah. 
So it's him and a group of other boys and the dog with this kid up a tree and they're throwing rocks at him and stuff. Nelson, stop. Nelson, yeah, the kid's stop. begging him to stop. Yeah. Uh, and Rachel goes to see Mrs. Mrs. Amsler again, you know, after her experience seeing her dad, which was terrifying and horrible. Yeah, we don't really get an experience of it, but we know that it freaked her out big time. Yes. Yeah, basically to tell her, like, well, I was wrong. Uh, when I said that the voices are good and you should follow them, I was wrong. Don't do it. But she's already dead. Yes, she's gone. She says, I wanted to tell her the voices are wrong. There's nothing beautiful out there. Just brutal. Uh, <laughs> and she, she kind of was basing that on what Kevin Bacon said, which was basically just to get her to not go. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, she has died and uh, she's, you know, really upset about it. Mm-hmm. Although she shouldn't be, you know, she was prepared for death. She had made her amends. Obviously, it's a different kind of experience. And the thing with her dad, well, she'll she'll deal with that a little bit soon. Yeah. Yes. So everybody's having their things. Dave is uh, getting more flashbacks to doing the bullying as a child. We actually sort of get a more clear version of what actually happened with him. Yeah, and it's normal bullying, not like it's psychotic bullying. Yeah, it's it's not it's not like something in a Stephen King book. And even though you know she's black and he's white, there isn't a racial component to the bullying, which is good to see as well. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it would make him a lot less sympathetic. And yeah. also, back in those days, that young, I don't think kids bullied people for that. Uh, maybe that's just my own experience, yeah. but uh, as a it, uh, it would white have person, to, maybe I'm not the authority on this. I would say it would definitely depend on where you are but, yes. and, and who their parents are. That, that's uh, really that, the main thing, okay. what they're yeah, indoctrinated right. into. But uh, I, I, I think it's notable that he's the only one who is completely seeing it from his own perspective and is uh, totally recognizing the reality of the situation. Uh, yeah. He he sort of does know everything that's going on, whereas the others are still kind of being pounded with it. Obviously, Rachel, just it's it's whole new experience and she doesn't really understand why yet. Uh-huh. Whereas Joe is taking a long time to come around to it. Nelson is starting to get it. He knows it's his sins and he's starting to see himself there rather than experiencing it. Joe's still just being hit on all the time, using his own shitty pickup lines. Oh, my God. Hey, I'm not picking you up. I'm picking you out. <laughs> and he, he's like, he gets into his apartment and there's just all these ladies there hitting on him. And it doesn't really occur to him as strange. He just keeps kind of offhandedly responding to them as he goes up the stairs. Yeah, like his the whole picking up process is so not a part of it that he doesn't even he doesn't recognize that these are his lines being used. And I didn't recognize that at first either. I just thought he was, yeah. <laughs> it was like the third one that I realized, Oh, this is his dream. And this is his shit being thrown at him. Yeah. And he gets up the stairs and his fiance is there and she's watching one of the sex tapes, but he's completely oblivious. He doesn't even get it. It's like, wow, it's so great. You're here. And she's like, well, you know, when you called and were saying all that stuff about how you loved me and, yeah, because he thought he might die then. I, I, I was really worried, so I came to see you. He's like, "Oh, that's great." <laughs> Still oblivious, 
yep. then he realizes that it's one of those tapes and he's like, oh, oh, shit. And she she dumps him, of course. Yeah, and not because like, he was cheating, but because of him taping all of these women without permission. Yeah, like, you didn't respect any of these people. Yeah, because he says, like, no, they meant nothing to me. He's like, that's exactly the point. They yes. meant nothing to you. And that's that, like, tells me a lot about who you are as a person. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> So Dave, meanwhile, he starts calling around and he tracks down the girl he bullied as an elementary school kid. This girl, Winnie, she lives uh, two hours away in Bensonville. He's like, all right, I'm going to go to her. <laughs> going to go show up at her house and apologize. And Kiefer wants to come along. Yeah, he doesn't want to be alone for pretty good reasons. He's like, are you sure it's a two hour drive? And you, this is already weird. He's like, yeah, I don't really think it's good for me to be alone right now. <laughs> yeah, OK, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Rachel is doing a dissection in the fucking crazy room with all of the paintings and shit. And oh, yeah. The autopsy room. <laughs> and the light goes red there and she realizes that the cadaver she's working on has her dad's tattoo yeah she's been working on her dad the entire time no but no of course not so but the 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 cadaver rises up and you know she upends a tray of instruments and runs off screaming of course and uh joe and steckel are both there and they're like what the hell this isn't good (laughs) yeah joe i think it's joe that goes to run out after her and the teacher's like hey no, there's going to be consequences. Yeah, I mean, what, what the hell are you guys doing? Do you do you guys ever do anything around here? It's like <laughs> we do lots, man. It's like in Community, where you have our main characters who <laughs> just are are doing all their shit, and then once in a while you you'll check in with someone who is outside of the main character universe. I'm like, what the hell are you guys doing? Do you go to this school? What is even going on? <laughs> yeah, you guys are never in class. <laughs> So meanwhile, in Bensonville, Nelson stays in the truck while Dave goes to meet and apologize to the girl he bullied, Winnie. I and love the bit with Nelson narrating it. Oh, yeah, where he's uh, saying all this stuff between the two of them. It is probably about right. Uh, her house has that ripply, peaceful light, the water light. Oh, I didn't notice because it is one of the few like daylight scenes in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. It's the it's projected orange ripply water light like uh, like it, it's like water is reflect or light is reflecting off of a river. But, you know, it's just projected onto the home, which is pretty cool. You, you get it a few times through the movie and uh, anytime there is a really peaceful scene. Yeah, it's weird. I, I never actually noticed it until you brought it up. It's pretty cool. We'll, we'll watch for it. So. All right. They they go into her greenhouse and he very sincerely apologizes. He's like, I, I look, I I know this is a really long time ago. You might not even remember it, but and and at first she does pretend that she doesn't remember because yeah. she's like, oh, that's so long ago. I don't even think about that. But then she's like, it it clearly gets through to her. Like it, it's sort of a thing that she has filed away as the past, much as he had, and it's still. It's still there, and she does remember it, and she's like, she does sincerely forgive him as well. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he's freed from his haunting. Like, he's just totally free of it. 
Yeah, so he figures out that he's got the answer to what's perplexing everybody. He sort of does. He, he does-ish, but, you know, it's, it's not, not necessarily... No, not everyone can atone. There are different yeah. levels of uh, atonement. But while he's in the house... Right. Uh, meanwhile, in Nelson the truck, is, Yeah, Nelson is being terrorized by Billy, or his conscience, basically. Oh, we, we find out for sure that it's his conscience, because when... Right, yeah. Because uh, So he's being attacked in the back of the truck. This is something that's really stupid. We see that the back of the truck, and we've seen a few times that it's just a canvas flap. Mm-hmm. But the doors are locked at the cab of the truck. Yeah. And he can't get out. He can't get out. But not only that, Dave runs up and he can't get in. He, he can't get in. Like, I don't know why he doesn't go in the canvas flap. He breaks the window. <laughs> Brains are weird, man. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Okay, I believe it's your truck. Getting out. Oh, sure. Yeah, because it's not his truck, but it's Dave's truck. Oh, why would he break the window instead of going into the flap? It's crazy. Well, anyway, I mean, the reason I believe Keith for not getting out is because he's mid psychotic breakdown. Yes, that too. As we see, he is the one sticking the pickaxe into his own ear. Yeah, he's doing it to himself. He's literally beating himself up over uh, his childhood. Yeah. And uh, the mistakes he made as a kid. Uh, so uh, it, it's clear that these they are doing this themselves. They are not being attacked by ghosts. Yeah. They are uh, dealing with their own guilt in a much more physical way. It's like they've... It's sort of like the the concept of the dead zone, where you've activated this dead zone in your mind that gives you this access to being able to see the future, being able to see things that may happen. In this case, instead of opening up that, it just sort of opens up a tunnel to the things you feel the worst about it, so you can just feel it all the time. <laughs> it's it's almost like it's 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 almost like some force is saying. This is a bad idea and don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. It's <laughs> not good. Yeah. So back at campus, Rachel explains to her and like, I've been seeing my dead dad. <laughs> He's just been hanging around and I'm not cool with that. And it's just like, death is beautiful. What a bunch of crap. Yeah. <laughs> to, to Dave. But it's like, okay, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> just trying to protect you. Uh, <laughs> And Nelson is still on the everybody's a tourist, you know, like you're <laughs> so eager to ride my coattails. Yeah. But now you're all mad. Oh, yeah, boo-hoo, you your dad's dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry your guilt is haunting you. <laughs> I, I think it's around here that uh, Joe confesses about the tapes, isn't it? Uh, I think it's already come out. I, I think oh, okay. he said it when he was. I, I think it's from when he was talking about. Uh, the, oh, when when they're talking about the sins coming back. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he brought it up then. Right. He one thing that's interesting. He talks about Rachel and Dave uh, being so close together, and he it feels like he's jealous, but I don't know who he's jealous of. Hmm. Uh. Well. We we didn't mention it, but when the reason why they had so much t- trouble bringing Dave back is because Nelson was all he was dicking around. Yeah, he uh, he was really uh, kind of acting tough and and oh, going why don't we slow. try this method? Oh, why don't we try that one? 
I'm the smart one. We should do it this way. How about? Yeah, he's he was like clearly just trying to mess with everyone. And yeah, I don't know. So I don't know if, what his deal is there, but I kind of wonder who it is he's jealous of and why. Uh, there, I, I I would say again because the peaceful moments, uh, the the first moment of tranquility and peace with the Ripley light that we get is him and Dave. Oh, hmm. It's the two of them talking when Dave is climbing out his window and so forth. So yeah, I don't know. That could be. Could be. Uh, but yeah, he's like, they're your sins. Live with them. I do. <laughs> Reminds me of uh, Bob's Burgers, the Gene as uh, uh, Gene playing Bob. He's like, grow up. I did. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. So Dave sends Joe and Steckle to go help Nelson find Billy Mahoney so that he can atone. He's like, no, I've got this all figured out. It'll be great. You go help Nelson find Billy. Oh, atoning's not going to be as simple as that for me. <laughs> yeah. Which is very true. It's very true. And Dave and Rachel have this philosophical discussion about guilt and atonement and uh, what you need to do. So Nelson takes off and the, they they chase him through all of these streets and all of these back pathways to the graveyard where it's Billy Mahoney's grave. Yep. And it's right around here, I think, we get the whole story, which by now we've pretty much figured out what's what it's going to be. Yeah. So Nelson takes them there and he says, like, here's I know where Billy is. He's right here. And I'm the one who put him here. And then we see the whole flashback. Yeah. So he's up in the tree and Nelson's throwing the rocks at him. And, yeah, and he hits know, him in the head. What? He falls down. Uh, he breaks a bunch of branches. One of the big branches falls on the dog and cripples the dog. And, you know, he uh, the, the kid dies. Yeah. So he comes out of him sort of re-experiencing it in full again. It's like, I can still make amends. And he runs off, steals Steckler's car so they can't follow him because he also took them through all of these back pathways so that they wouldn't know how to quickly get back to the vehicle. Yeah, uh, I don't know if he did that intentionally or if he's just going through the path that he remembers taking as a kid. I, I, I don't think it's that malicious. I think it's both because he knows exactly how to immediately get back to Steckler's car. They're in there and he says oh well i know how to do it and even though there is this really long convoluted route to get there he says his thing like i can still make amends and he takes off and then almost immediately we hear the the engine start up and him driving he's like fuck my car <laughs> that's true okay. and they don't really know where to go to get back to it so i think yeah he he kind of intentionally juked him yeah he would too um he's very unstable at this point mm-hmm so meanwhile, Rachel and Dave, they have sex and yep. Rachel wakes up in Dave's arms and sees a red light coming from the bathroom. So she knows now they've talked about the guilt and atonement and uh, she sort of understands the process to some extent and she goes to face it. Oh, yeah, that was where like Dave was like, hey, look, your dad doesn't blame you for this shit. I'm pretty <laughs> yeah, come sure. On. There's no way. But uh, and she starts to go in there. But before there's anything, Dave runs in and he's like, I got to go deal with there's there's a problem with Nelson. The other guys are called and 
uh, I got, I gotta go, uh, you know, good luck with your dad. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Nelson's about to do something stupider than usual. What can I say? So he, he leaves the red light comes back and she's once again in her childhood home and she does the thing. She, she makes amends. She, we, we see more clearly that he is shooting up heroin. He turns and, you know, she forgives him and they hug and the walls push back they they open up and slide outwards and the light uh goes from uh red to yellow yeah kind of brightens up and then the phone rings and it's nelson he's going to apologize to her he has actually decided he's got to make amends with people (laughs) it's like i'm sorry this is a i I really should have told you like no no you don't understand it doesn't matter anymore (laughs) yeah and he's just in his spiral, like, no, everything matters. Everything we do matters. Yeah, because he's not even close to where they are yet. No, well, he's got so much more to make up for. Mm-hmm. You know, he killed someone. The, the rest of yes. them, every, everything's considerably less. Well, I mean, Joe's pretty severe, but I don't think he's going to make amends. He lost his marriage over it, and he's just going to have to deal with that. Yeah, I don't know how he could make amends for that. He's just going to have to really work at being a better person. I think he's just going to be haunted for a long time. <laughs> Maybe that's what Flatliners 2 is about. I don't think he's in it. I think the only one who returns is Kiefer. Oh, okay. So, of course, he tells her that he's going under again and hangs up. And they're not sure where he is, which is funny because he's in the same <laughs> place that they've always done it. So I don't know why they figured he's he'd gonna, be anywhere else. Yeah, where else could he go under? Where else is this equipment set up? Yeah. So we see the basic thing, you know, he does the the basic arrangements of putting himself under. Uh, you know, he he injects himself. He puts the refrigerator refrigerated blanket on himself and everything. And everyone's on their way there. They're like, OK, we, we got to get over there. Uh, Steckler or Steckle, he's joking about why he didn't do it, because my 350 pound babysitter would be after me for uh, eating her half-finished pastrami sandwich. <laughs> so yeah, right. I, I, it, it strikes me that again he's sort of in the Dave territory where he is someone who has been bullied, but not someone who has bullied. He's just, you know, uh, his guilt is only about his weight, <laughs> yeah. not about uh, anyone he's harmed. I, yeah. I like that he has no guilt and. Unlike the rest of them, he doesn't have any desire to taste death. It's just not yeah. of interest to him. Oh, yeah. He he never he never gets into the pissing contest. Yeah, it's just totally not of interest to him. And he doesn't have any chip on his shoulder about anything. Yeah. Well, except for the baby boomers. Well, yeah. I mean, who does it from? The, like, does? <laughs> again, this is a Gen X statement. This is yeah. a Gen X movie. So. Uh, Nelson, once he experiences Billy Mahoney's death. Yeah, it's it's the same flashback, but he is in Billy's place. Yeah, he's the one up in the tree. He's the one who falls uh, while everyone is rushing in and starting to resuscitate him. Rachel, of course, is the last one to show up because she wasn't with the main group. He's like, he called me. It's been nine minutes. Yeah, and. For a long time, they're just like, man, we should give up. He is gone. It gets really windy. Uh, Kevin Bacon is doing the live, damn you, live, live pounding on his chest. You. you gotta. Yep. And 
they they all they stop. It's like no, it seems like he's really gone. And Dave starts raging at God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, we stepped on your fucking territory. And then he like starts to argue with them some more. And then he's he just runs over, grabs the paddles, and starts shocking him again. It's like stop, God damn it, he's already gone. He's he's gone, but he starts to bring him back. In in the mind space, we see Nelson start to wake up again. Sort of. Like, he wakes up in the dream space. Yeah. And Billy and Champ are there, but they're not hurt anymore. They're just there, and he's experienced it, and it's sort of his own way of atoning is experiencing what was done to them. And they sort of make amends. They smile and walk away. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I guess, you know, he has his spiritual experience. This is what it takes for him to learn. I yes. guess, you know, it, it's different for all of them. True. True. It is. Uh, so he hears their voices calling to him, you know, uh, the, 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 the group, they're all yeah. yelling from like live, damn you. You know, they're doing it. <laughs> uh, and he, he runs across the field towards them and Joe finally finds his pulse. He whispers in Dave's ear and Dave uh, communicates to them. Like he said, it wasn't such a good day to die. Oh, callback. Well, it's, it's two callbacks because it's that. And then we also see the triptych again of Prometheus stealing fire from men. It, It has a really slow pull out from, uh, that while the credits roll and that's it that is the end a uh, great movie just a lot of fun uh weird unique yeah um the movie itself doesn't take a stance on the existence of god or lack thereof and i find that interesting yeah it's not interested in that because it's it's ultimately even though that's what some of them are seeking it's just not what they're getting it's a, more about guilt and atonement and uh, dealing with issues, dealing with your baggage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it never like flat out explains what's causing the phenomenon because that's yeah, like like you say, that's not the point. Yeah, and it, it's like it is very Catholic. It's totally a Catholic guilt thing. It's physical manifestation of Catholic guilt, but not all of them are Catholic, and it sort of affects them all in different ways. And it sort of suggests this uh, concept that you know if you have a religious background that religion is going to color the experience in some way, but it doesn't necessarily confirm religion. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting film. And I do feel just for Gen X, it seems like one of the really key important works as a statement. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I really, I really like it. <laughs> I probably would have loved this movie as a kid. Yeah, like as a teenager, seeing it, it when it was relatively new on VHS. The, yeah, I, I, it is one I got too late as well. I didn't I probably didn't see it till college. Uh, same as the Lost Boys. Honestly, I didn't really get into Schumacher until really late, which is a shame because the only ones I had seen were Batman Forever. I, I think just Batman Forever, actually. Oh, wow. Which I did <laughs> not like in 95 or 96 when I saw it, but. You know, I guess that's why I didn't really dig into the other ones. But Lost Boys and this one are so goddamn good. Mm-hmm. And I've really come around to the Batman ones, too. 
oh, as yeah. we've discussed. We, <laughs> we loved Batman Forever. Oh, we did. Um, yeah, I love, I love when Kiefer does a really good. I've completely lost my shit and gone crazy act. Yeah, he he is excellent at being totally fucking unhinged. Uh, my understanding is that's kind of just the experience of being Kiefer Sutherland. It's just a really <laughs> unhinged way of life. <laughs> uh, I could see that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love what at the, like the first time he gets beat up by Billy Mahoney, he comes in. They're like, "Why are you late?" He's like, "Oh, um, I was attacked by some guys, some very very big guys." Oh yeah, that's right. It, it definitely wasn't a small child that beat me up. It wasn't that at all? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fucking cool. Uh, really interesting movie, and just so beautiful looking. Just yes. uh, incredible aesthetic, and just the coolest lighting and cinematography. Like peak stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, love the soundtrack too. We talked about earlier. Good score by James Newton Howard. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it kind of reminded me of Nine Inch Nails a little, or maybe not Nine Inch Nails, but like a little bit. I'm thinking like Nine Inch Nails or KMFDM, something that era. It definitely but has not. a bit of an industrial flavor to it, and with the, especially with the chanting and so forth. But yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's not super industrial, but it definitely has a bit of a industrial flavor to it, but much more you know cinematic music. So this is replaced in the stacks with Wild Things. Wild Things, another one that I will completely get mixed up with uh, Wild Boys, Lost Boys, and Lost Highway. So Wild Things, you may recall from it being very infamous when it came out in circa 98, I think. I think it's a 98 movie. Uh, This is a movie with a very famous hot tub threesome. Oh, it doesn't Uh, ring a bell, but. Also stars Kevin Bacon. Okay. Uh, it's a very sleazy, trashy, late 90s uh, teen uh, exploitation thing. So it's got Kevin Bacon and Matt Dillon. Kevin Bacon is a police officer who is investigating into a case where I think Matt Dillon is a guidance counselor who is accused of rape, but there's this whole conspiracy around it. Oh, yeah. Uh, quite, quite famous at the time. You will probably know the scene I'm talking about when you see a bit of it. It was heavily advertised. It, it was just like circa 98. This was one of the big movies. I do definitely remember the title, but I can't remember anything. If I've seen anything about it or if I've seen it, I don't remember anything. Uh, the, the hot tub scene is the one that you would definitely know, or the pool scene where it's just, uh, Nev Campbell and Denise Richards. Uh, and yeah, you know. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'd remember that. You'd know it. <laughs> uh, yeah, a pretty, pretty famous bit. So that's the next one in this stack. It's the Arrow release of that. Oh, cool. Cool. Uh, Because, yeah, I don't think we mentioned this is, of course, the recent Arrow release of Flatliners. Uh, I love the case for this, the the design, the cover, the green, shiny. The the slipcover is kind of a matte, soft feel to it and has that uh, cool retro 80s green cube look. Yeah, it's got like it looks like kind of like an X-ray of a skeleton or a skull kind of thing. And it's shiny. Yeah, it's yep. super cool. I take that. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I didn't get the 4K because we don't have neither of us have a 4K setup. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, this one did come out both in, I think, regular and 4K format simultaneously. And all of the interviews, they're talking about how good it looks in 4K. And it's like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not watching the 4K. Oh, man, it's going to be years before I get a 4K TV. I don't think I ever will. I really don't care. <laughs> I mean, it'll I'm so be when satisfied I... with Blu-ray. No, it'll be whenever I replace my current TV. True, true. So <laughs> who knows? Yeah. <laughs> It'll be a long time. All right. Well, any last thoughts on Flatliners before we move on to part two? Um, yeah, I don't think tomorrow's going to be a good day to die either. I want to I want to stick around a little bit, I think. Uh, so you're, you're not on the, the side of the who? The who? Hope I die before I get old, my generation. Oh! <laughs> Hope I die before I get old. Oh, I thought you were my talking generation! About... <laughs> For somehow, I thought you were talking about the World Health Organization. I was like, no. I didn't know they wanted me to die. Although, with the way everyone's been handling COVID, you know, maybe they do. I, I would feel that uh, a lot of people, uh, I, I, I think that that's maybe uh, more uh, the QAnon side of things would. Oh, yes. <laughs> That they they'd be the ones demonizing that who uh, the WHO rather than the who, right? And I just didn't know the who lyrics enough. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, it's it's such a line. <laughs> <laughs> I watched a movie with Roger Daltrey in it recently. Some I, I feel like one of the movies in the Watched Stacks this week had Roger Daltrey of the Who in a starring role. I think interesting. I'll have to think about that. Anyway. Uh, on to part two. And we're back for part two, where we're talking about Biozombie, a uh, 1998 film, uh, director Wilson Yip, Chinese mall, Hong, oh, a Hong Kong zombie comedy horror thing. It, to me, it kind of feels like Hong Kong action version of Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's darker. Very dark. Uh, everybody is an asshole. Where, like, our previous film, Flatliners, where we were discussing how everyone's kind of haunted by their guilt. This is a universe of people who have no guilt for any of their many crimes. <laughs> they don't learn anything and nobody survives. Spoiler alert. They, they all die. Oh, yeah. Everybody uh, gets out and you kind of want them all to die because they all are bad. Like everybody is just a total asshole. There is no good person in this movie. Well, we don't get to find out if Mrs. Cooey is good because she's not allowed to speak. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I don't know how she ended up with Brother Cooey to begin with. Uh, I but, guess. And and, and I, I, I would argue that B has a sweetness to him. He's kind of like Charlie in the Always Sunny gang, where he's been pulled into the vortex of Willie Invincible, and so that's sort of the person he's shaped himself after. But he seems like he just would be a genuinely lovable person in other circumstances, perhaps? That's kind of my read on him, is that he just hooked up with... Well, he attached himself to the wrong person. The yeah. wrong group, the wrong location. Just... He could have been all right. Well, and uh, I don't know. He, he may have some problems of his own with uh, how certain he is that he's definitely going to kill a man. One day it's going to happen. He just oh, doesn't know when or who, but, you know, it's going to happen. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it is in the stars. Mm-hmm. I think he does. No, he doesn't get to he, in the end. He, somehow he never kills anyone in this <laughs> zombie film. Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, that's the other thing is that where our scientifically minded med school characters in the previous film generally are able to figure out what's going on. Uh, nobody here is ever right. These are characters who are just always wrong and don't know what the hell they're doing. Yeah, the closest they get to being correct is when Zombie... Oh, gosh, yeah, it's going to get confusing because his name is Zombie. Yeah. And it's... yeah, Well, Crazy B, or just B. His name yeah. is B, but it, it it's supposed to be Crazy B. And then I think just... I, I don't know if it's just this disc or the translation, but it's mostly stated as zombie. Yeah, zombie, like <clears> two <throat> words. Yeah, well, just the B capitalized, but B, yeah. B-E-E. But uh, I, I would say let's refer to him as B. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> uh, everybody in this has crazy ass names. It's like everybody just got to be their, the screen name that they picked for themselves on like – Oh, God, what even was it back then? AIM? Back in 98. Uh, ICQ. Oh, that's before my time, even. I think they would be... ICQ might actually even be a little bit later. I feel like I was on ICQ circa 99-2000. Maybe it was 98. I don't know. But yeah, I I remember ICQ as being like maybe even a precursor to AIM really taking over. (laughs) Because I was never on AIM because I I did not have AOL. That's AOL Instant Messenger. Oh, I actually never knew that. Mm -hmm. See, I didn't I didn't touch the Internet until like 2002, 2003. I didn't I had never used a computer until then. So uh, I, I, I was on the Internet in the late 90s in in the sort of upsurge period. So yeah, I was here for all of the, the quote unquote culture of the internet. <laughs> oh man, what a different place it was. Uh, different in the same. The, the, it, yeah. it looked different, but I don't know. It, it wasn't that different. different. Content wise, the way people interacted wise. Well, maybe it was, uh, I, it was more of a time of chat rooms than one of message boards, I guess. Yeah, probably. Uh, either way, none of that really comes up here. <laughs> this is pre all of it, although cell phones are important. So it's cell in phones. that in that uh, grace period right in between. Yeah, cell phones and video games. Although I'd say the, more bootleg uh, movies. Bootleg movies, yep. Yeah. Yeah, Our main characters um, work in a bootleg VCD shop in just a, th- this mall, this location, this Hong Kong mall. I think they give this specific name at some point or a couple times. Uh, I got it Pacific down something some... or other. We'll get to it. It doesn't matter. But yeah. uh, <clears throat> the mall is such a crazy location because it's so different from the malls I experienced in the 90s because it's so dense and it's just glass and mirrors and metal and it would be so hard to find your way around everything looks the same all the shops are so tiny yeah and it's just corridors yeah like narrow corridors and corners and uh, every mall that i've ever been has got like a huge open space that everybody walks into and all the shops are on one side or the other side you could not get lost if you tried 
but it's not this hyper-saturated society and hyper-dense uh, population like Hong Kong. So yes. th- that uh, speaks to what sort of makes this different from the classical mall zombie flick is this one is so intensified so uh and it, not only in terms of just it being the hong kong culture and the hong kong location of so hyper dense is that filmically it's coming from a much deeper well of sources it's got a lot of peter jackson in it it's got a lot of sam raimi in it oh yeah <clears throat> um i wasn't even thinking about that but yeah there's there's some raimi in here that's for sure Oh, big time. Like the the Evil Dead and I would say the early Peter Jackson's like uh, uh, Bad Taste and Brain Dead uh, definitely figure in the splatteriness of those. <laughs> I haven't seen those, but I'll take your word for it. They're interesting before Peter Jackson became, you know, the Lord of the Rings guy. Uh, he, he was a low budget horror guy and it's really splattery, gross stuff. That's hard to imagine. <laughs> Extremely gory. Wow, okay. Although I guess Sam Raimi became the Spider-Man guy after a while, but he was True. Eh, he was still Sam Raimi. He still does Sam Raimi movies, whereas Peter Jackson hasn't really gone back and done like a, a gory horror thing since the 90s. I don't think. I don't know. I haven't really kept up with him because I hated King Kong so much. <laughs> I've heard nothing good about it. I think it's the last one I saw of his. Uh, it came out. I walked out of the theater angrily yelling about it. Billy, you're too young, Billy, Billy. Uh, <laughs> and then, yeah, I don't think I ever saw another Peter Jackson movie. Come to think of it. I, uh, I didn't see those Hobbit movies. No, me neither. I, I never watched anything of his because after Return of the King, I just couldn't trust him to finish a movie. I mean, notoriously. Uh, Let me see here. I actually want to take a quick look to see if... uh, Yeah, no, I haven't seen it. He did that really long Beatles movie last year or the year before. Oh. That's supposed to be really good. The one that's about the Beatles or the one that's about what if the Beatles never existed? (laughs) Uh, The the one that's about the Beatles. It's it's a a documentary on Get Back. uh, So on their final album. Oh, okay. Uh, the the one yesterday that's Danny Boyle who did Train Spotting. Oh, yeah, cool. I haven't seen it, but I hear it sucks. <laughs> mm, okay, <laughs> it's really lame. It's got Ed Sheeran. Oh, I I know that name. <laughs> You'd know the songs. I know you he would was unfortunately a know them. You probably. Uh, there was there was a video where he was a Muppet. And this is that the only thing I know correct. about him. He uh, does videos. <laughs> yeah, he does. He's very popular. Um, yeah. Uh, you know who's not popular? Woody Invincible. Is he, though? I don't know. He seems like uh, he thinks he's really popular. Oh, he definitely thinks he's popular. But he has one friend and he kind of gets a girlfriend when it's a life or death situation and it doesn't work out. Well, yeah, I don't really get her whole deal either roles she's interesting she's weird they're all interesting actually i this compelling characters yeah this is like the most colorful group of dead meats who i've wanted to die i've ever seen yeah like they are all different forms of assholes from to one degree or another but they're all fascinating like they they all they're they're also pathological in their own different ways (laughs) 
<laughs> like, I just couldn't believe that they, like, their plan to get money. It's like, hey, let's just rob our friend who knows us and knows what we look like and everything. <laughs> and oh, that's like a trailer park boys plot. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid. Uh, I love the... So we get our opening credit scene, which is actually... Um, it's one of their hand cam, like, or it's shot like one of their hand cam videos that they make. Where they, yeah, it's, where it's like a bootleg opening credits. Yeah. Yeah. And, like they're talking through the, through this movie the whole time they're smoking and people are like, gosh, shut up. And they're just like, just ignoring it. Just like laughing their asses off, just being dicks uh, while talking over the movie that they're supposed to be recording and later selling. Well, it, but the the thing is, it is this movie. Like they're 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 filming the opening credits to Bio Zombie, the movie that oh, they're sure. in, uh, with their names in the credits and stuff, which which is just kind of a fun meta thing to begin with. And it's yeah, it's out of focus. You only see small little bits of the screen. You've got just them zooming in randomly. They're uh, you can see their shadows. <laughs> and and it's a good uh, reference point because one of the first things that sort of sets everything off is someone coming back, trying to exchange a VCD. He's like, yeah, come on, you look how badly filmed this is. You guys cut off half of the movie. Uh, there's no sound for most of it. <laughs> you can't even see Stephen Chow's face. Well, if you were able to tell it's Stephen Chow, then who cares? And is that Loy? Uh, no, no. Loy... Okay. Just someone very similar to Loy who comes in and uh, wants his money back. And they, uh, uh, force some porn on him and, and they give him like, you, you can pick out four pornos and get out of here. Yeah. This is actually like one of the first things that's, that happens <laughs> after the opening credits, we see them just going through the mall, being an asshole to literally everybody that they come across, but they know all these people and they all know them. And it kind of gives me like this mall rats feeling. It is Mallrats-esque. It, it is Mallrats as a zombie movie, but it's extremely Hong Kong. And yeah, everybody is an asshole. And it's this mutually parasitic community. Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't think there's a good person in a, like a 20-mile radius of this mall. <laughs> like the, the Queez with their uh, cell phone store, their fucking, <laughs> like, obviously extremely shady cell phone store. Well, they literally buy a cell phone that they know that this guy stole. Absolutely. <laughs> and then lowball him. And then when they get broken into, the guy's like, well, maybe you lowballed him. But I didn't <laughs> steal it. It wasn't me. But they'll stay suspicious of him the whole time because it's all this constant mutual suspicion because yeah. that's the way all of these people live their lives. They're just these bunch of warring parasites. Yeah, of course you're going to suspect the guy who has probably already stolen from you five times before yeah i mean surely it's happened we know that they will totally hatch a plot to rob someone they know uh any any sort of jam uh, the gang survive or the gang endures a zombie apocalypse in the mall yeah they, they are very always sunny-esque uh where we're like we we brought him up a couple times in the previous one and certainly yeah we we've got b who is charlie yeah uh, I guess Rolls would have to uh, necessarily be D. Yeah, Rolls would probably be D. Uh, yeah, Willie Invincible feels like a Mac. He doesn't have any sort of planning capabilities. 
No, he's a Mac. Uh, Mr. Cooey is probably Dennis. Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, just kind of by elimination. <clears throat> there's there's no Frank. Uh, Loy? <laughs> I guess. Not really. Loy uh, is kind of... Loy and B are both sort of Charlie-esque, but different aspects of the Charlie figure. <laughs> As they're going through the wall insulting everybody uh b says to to woody he's like hey Willie. guess what oh you know it is woody it is woody you're right hey you know what uh yesterday was may 8th do you know what today is and Woody just never missing a chance to be an asshole august 4th yeah what, what a jog turns out and we're gonna find out much much later that it's his birthday and this is his subtle way of, of trying yeah. to hint at it but since I never picked it up, I can't imagine that this dense asshole is going to pick it up. No, and and that is sort of the the sad thing about B. He is trying to reach out, but he has no capability of doing so. It's the thing we've talked about before with other characters. He's just too inward to properly get out until he gets like too drunk to control himself later on. Mm, yep. <laughs> We're introduced to. Brother Kui and his wife, Mrs. Kui, or I'm probably saying it wrong, where she just like, they're basically ogling her while she's trying to work. And he shows up. All oh, right. Zombie is trying to he's got this Game Boy camera, which I forgot existed. Like, it's this oh, right. He's he's shooting the conversation with his Game Boy camera. Yeah. It's like for those who don't know, the Game Boy had this camera peripheral you could buy that I have never seen one out in the wild and I've only ever seen them in magazines and stuff, but I know they exist and you can print these black and white kind of shitty, like that's a gimmick thing. That's all it is. Yeah. You know, it, it was, uh, it, it was a kid's toy, but very unpopular in the West. I think it took off a little bit more in Japan, China, Hong Kong. So it's probably more common to have there. It, it makes sense that he would have one, especially working in this bootleg VCD shop and hanging with uh, this, uh, the you know, uh, shady shell, cell phone shop operators all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're arguing about something, and Mrs. Quee's just opens her mouth to speak, doesn't even get a word out. And Mr. Quee's like, shut up, you bitch. You don't know anything. This is my store, not yours. This will happen every time she tries to speak. Yeah, that uh, is so. his whole thing. He is just uh, very domineering over her at all times. And he kind of talks that way to everyone, but especially her because she's under his thumb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he has uh, no skills or abilities of his own and no redeeming qualities. He, he's not even useful when the zombies come. No, he's sort of an Al Bundy type. But again, amplified, uh, I, I would say a stereotype of just the shitty husband who just like is, is totally worthless. Yeah. He's got like his flashy suit with like the collar popped and all that. He's, he's, he's one of those guys. He's a Kevin Federline type. Oh God. K fed. Yeah. He, he's vaguely. like a, a straight up K fed. Yeah. That's that. I, vaguely remember him but that sounds about right he he was britney's uh guy oh poor britney man really poor britney though holy <laughs> shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> for many reasons 
We also meet, I've gotten him written down as Sushi Boy because he's called that way more than he's called Loy. Yeah, the the waiter at the sushi bar, uh, he is a nerd. He is a nerd, but his face and like his facial expressions and the way he handles his customer service job, there is an American actor, and I can't think of who it is, who is like exactly this to the point where I figure like th- this actor is trying to emulate that. And I can't hmm. think who it is. No, I'm not sure. I want to say he's on like it's not X Files. He's not one of the lone gunmen. I don't know. It, it will probably it probably won't come to me. Hmm. But uh, he has a not subtle crush on Rolls, uh, one of the hot girls. And- he's practically stalking her. He is completely obsessed yes. with Rolls. Uh, Rolls is. But like you know, she's eating it up. Uh, he's like, here, have some coupons for thirty percent off next time. And she's like, oh, thirty percent? Is that really the best you can do? Well, and she's also always trying to give away all sorts of coupons because she works at one of those like nail spas in the middle of like in like a mall kiosk. Yeah, and she's trying to get customers under the guise of picking up guys who she actually has no intention of hooking up with. Yeah, and and she's one of the first people we meet when they get to the mall because that she's trying to force some. Uh, different spa treatments on them to to buy to resell it's like oh you you know you can resell them to other people it's a, it definitely will uh benefit you in some point <laughs> and woody's like yeah once once i make it big she's gonna do a facial on me with her tongue yeah uh, it's fun just everyone is running a scam every single person is running a scam other than loy and loy is just Sad. Yeah, I've I've been the sushi boy. Crush <laughs> on the girl who is not worth the energy, but at the same time, really and also not attainable. Yes. Oh, that that's the most important part. Very unattainable. Extremely uh, unattainable. Uh, Rolls' friend Jelly, and I love that their names are Jelly and Rolls. Hmm. <laughs> she seems a bit better maybe but maybe that's just because she's not the dominant one of the two it's true it's really hard to get really much of an impression of her character at all she's just kind of there in a couple scenes and then she just sort of is in the background mostly and then she dies before they get their stats screens yeah of course this movie has uh, stats for everybody who fights the zombies yeah when each of them has a fun weapon other than uh brother because you know, he sucks and no one bothered to give him one because why would they? His badass pose is him cowering <laughs> in the corner. It's amazing. Well, he's the one who gets Jelly killed. Yeah. Um, well, a few people killed, including himself. He well, yeah. he sucks. He sucks. But initially Jelly. Yes. <laughs> That's, that is what well, initiates the stat screens. Oh, yeah. Remember? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I, I love their little, like, their little video game store or whatever it is where they've got like their little arcade game bootleg vcd shop so they're 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 explicitly an illegal shop they sell their own burned vcds of movies they've bootlegged that's really the whole purpose of the shop so a vcd is that like like video cd so it's a cd with a video file on it oh um okay I, real I know th- cheap, real just it's like a burned disc. 
<laughs> oh man, I remember burning discs. <laughs> so the VCD was like big in Hong Kong. Uh, I don't know how much of the rest of Asia, but like you would also see it in like in in Vancouver if you went to Vancouver malls that had. Uh, that, that were in sort of a more Asian area of town, there would be like a VCD shop. You, you'd see these bootleg VCDs. And they they have very minimal packaging. They just like plastic wrap with a disc and just the fakest, bootlegiest uh, title car, uh, printed out fake ass looking <laughs> composite poster bullshit. Yeah. Oh, man, that reminds me of how brilliant the quote-unquote cover art for System of a Down Steel this album is. Oh, yeah. Well, there there wasn't there, – there's there no wasn't cover any. art. And then, it uh, looked like a burned CD with Sharpie. It was so yeah, good. It was pretty clever. That was a, their – that was a fun thing they did. Their other albums mostly have terrible art, though. They look so ugly. I can't think of any other art because – that's not what I went to System of Down for. Oh yeah, no. I mean, Toxicity was fine, but uh, and then you know the the first one with the hand is fine, but it's the later ones all look really ugly. Mm. I I fell off after Steal this album. I mean, that's fair. Those next two are so so. Oh right, there was that double album. Yeah. Well, there were two albums released on the same day. Right. Oh I yeah, spent... it wasn't a double album. It was. Yeah. <laughs> I, I spent One a lot of time listening of to those two. They were not the best. They were okay. They both had enough songs to put together one really good album, I guess. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, mesmerize that's... and something other. Hypnotize. Hypnotize. Yeah, I think it's yeah. Hypnotize and Mesmerize. Yeah. Yeah, they, they let the guitarist sing, but like he was actually – he ended up being really good. I don't even remember. I could not name a single song from those two, two albums. Oh. and I listened to them a lot. Me neither. Me neither. <laughs> uh yeah and they get a phone call from their boss oh well after they actually hold on that's this... not true i can remember a name of one of the songs from one of those albums violent pornography <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, that's that's the sort of title that sticks with you please continue oh god uh yeah wow uh <laughs> i remember that one now i can even remember the chorus now that i remember the title bad song <laughs> yeah this other Four Eyes guy, who's never named, uh, is complaining about the the VCD that they got from these guys. And it's like, look, man, why is it shaking so much? Why is it so random? And they just start screaming at him. And they take their fake guns from the arcade game, which at the time I thought it was real guns that they were pointing at him. Or like they're realistic so props. They're, they're, <laughs> like, they're not realistic, though. <laughs> oh, well, I, mean, I don't they're, do guns. They're... They're like space guns, but yeah, they're, you know, he is obviously not intimidated either. It's just he's annoyed by them and they're giving the shittiest of all customer service. Oh, I don't think I've ever seen worse customer service. They are literally screaming at him. It's like, take your free pornography and get out of here. Choose a porn film and I, get the fuck out. Yeah, I think it's like you can take four pornos and uh, we'll we'll give you a replacement. Get out of here. Uh <laughs> And, like, these guys don't even own the shop, despite nope. the fact that they produce these discs themselves. Like, they, they're the ones who make them. I don't really get what their boss does. I would have to guess nothing. He's sort of, uh, he's the Louis, uh, he's the Mr. Key in their relationship. Yeah, I feel like the boss 
is one of those guys who just owns a bunch of little businesses and only checks up on them every now and again. Because clearly, if he was involved in this place... <laughs> but it sort of sounds like they're his personal assistants, because there's that part where he asks them to get his car for them, or get, yeah. get his car for him. Yeah, and they're like, they're pretending that it's super busy, and and yeah, they have to go get his car, which is the next thing, actually the next thing that they're going to do. Right. So they... This is where they encounter the the bioweapon and the government agents. Or first, we see the the weapons deal going down and going wrong. Yeah, yeah, because they almost get hit by the uh, by the criminal's car on the way either to or from the mechanic shop. I don't remember which. Yeah, I but, don't know. Yeah, uh, they almost get hit by this car, and uh, we and we follow the car, and it turns out, yeah, it's a a weapons deal, a bio weapon deal uh, with some Iraqi guys. Uh, yeah, it's some got, sort like, of crazy extreme black market thing where the bio weapon is in this bottle of Lucasade, uh, yep. an, an actual soft drink. I can't remember what exactly it is. Uh, it's 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 marketed as like a hangover cure. Mm, it said energy drink on the bottle, so mm. yeah, I don't know. I've never I never heard of it before. Yeah, but this is like 98, where energy drink had a bit of a different meaning, I think. Uh, oh, I guess so. So Lucasade, yeah, I've I've heard of it before, uh, but I've never tried it. I think it's just really uh, high sugar or something. Okay. I don't know. But they have that in a briefcase, and then they also have this big crate with a zombie in it. <laughs> yeah, this big, like, aluminum kind of coffin-sized crate that they're just they're just opening it up in front of this guy and the zombies just held on by these little chains Mm -hmm. i don't know what the purpose of this is i guess to demonstrate like hey this is what this this is what this drink is going to do to people now watch while i dismember him with a machete for some reason so lucasade by the way it, it it's originally Glucosade because it's got a bunch of glucose in it. Okay. Which is just sugar, right? <laughs> so uh, all right. Really, it's it's like a fizzy sugar water, basically. But yeah, it's it was marketed as an energy drink. Kind of like a maybe a fizzy Gatorade, but not Gatorade, but you know, uh, marketed in a similar sort of way. Okay. Okay. I guess. Hmm. I should go out and find one somehow. One of these. You days. can probably get them because they they do exist. It's still a popular brand. Oh, okay. It's a British brand. Oh, interesting. All right. Um. Yeah. So everything that you're expecting to happen happens. The zombie gets out. Um. One of our guys runs away with yep. the briefcase with the Lucasade in it, and he is stumbling across the street, and he is of course run over or. He is hit and goes over the hood and all the way over the car of uh, Woody and B. Although we haven't mentioned their, we didn't really get into their uh, brawl with the guys at the shop, right? Because that happens first. That happens first. They uh, they notice that the guy at the shop, uh, he can see through his shorts and he's got huge testicles. So, of <laughs> course, they have to fuck with that. They have they to can... look close and they have to make a big thing of it. They, it is a very penis obsessed movie there there's a lot of dick jokes these guys are so obsessed with genitalia 
Yeah. So they guide a cockroach into the dude's shorts while he's working on the car. Uh, dude is understandably pissed and he calls his buddies over, who it turns out are wearing uh, shirts from like some like karate the, club. Some karate club. Yeah. And, <laughs> and they've got all their wrenches. And uh, Woody's like, well, hey, man, if you're going to fight us all, um, maybe drop the wrenches and make it a fair fight. So they do. And he's like, okay, well, maybe let's do one on one then. Yeah, so, he he he's very mouthy. He talks big and very loud, and he like this isn't him. Well, maybe we should do this. It's yeah, we should do this. Yeah, him like right. he's doing the little dog thing where he's barking and barking and barking until he is able to back out of it without ever sounding like he's backing down. Yeah, one guy steps forward and he's like, "Okay, well, B, you're up first. And B's like. Man, I'm just here to pick up a car. Why do I got to fight these guys? <laughs> yeah, what, what is this about? I don't <laughs> recall there being anything to fight about. Yeah, that's what Woody's like. Yeah, you hear that? Why do we have to fight? We're just paying customers, man. Yeah, and, yeah slowly de-escalating by constantly being at the same level. <laughs> yeah. And he can't back down. No, no. He can't lose face. It doesn't matter even if he's never going to see these people again. Man, spoiler alert, he isn't. <laughs> nope. Uh, so, yeah, they eventually do back down and just give the gu- give them the car, and that's when they run over the dude. Yeah, they're they're driving off, they hit the guy, and uh, they they go to see him, and he's he's saying, Lucasade. And they realize that there's, I was like, where the hell are we going to find a Lucasade at this hour? That's ridiculous. Lucasade. And they look and like, wait, there's one right there. Shit. And they pour it down his throat, which we have already established is what's containing the bioweapon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's the bioweapon is in the Lucasade. So they're creating the first zombie. Well, Well, second. Second zombie. The other one's already loose out there, because as it will turn out, there's more going on than just what's inside the mall. But we don't know about it until the very end. It's kind of like demons in that sense. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, Where we're trapped in the theater and they finally get out and realize, oh, yeah, no shit. It's been going on out here, too. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. But a, a cop comes by. Yep, and they they try to weekend at Bernie's him, uh, the guy to to get the cop to go away, and it works. They pretend Somehow. he's just really drunk. Yep, like hey, we're just sitting here, man. My my boy, he's really drunk, man. He he drank a thousand uh a thousand dollars worth of wine. Yeah, <laughs> wow, wow, crazy, huh? Uh, yeah. And it's it's not even necessarily that the cop definitely uh, believes them. It's more the cop is like, well, okay, whatever. I don't want to do this. Yeah, basically. It, it, it's, it's a bit 50-50 there. And they pile him into the trunk of their boss's car, mm-hmm. head back to the mall with him to figure out what to do. Because, like, they've been seen with him with a cop. Yeah. Or a cop has seen them with him. So it's a, it's a severe issue at this point. Yes, indeed. And... And he's dead, or at least they think he is. Well, he's dead at this point. Yeah. He won't stay dead. Nope. I, I do love when they, like, park the car, they pull forward too much and just bump into the wall and crush the front end of the car. And Woody gets out, he's just like, fuck, not again. Yeah. You definitely get the impression that it was in the repair shop for something that they did. <laughs> Probably this exact thing. 
Most likely. You know, it being not again. Yeah, probably. <laughs> they get, um, I want to say, attacked by the nerd guy who they sold the shitty VCDs to, but he spits on them and then we smash cut to the nerd guy being basically naked and then saying, so you're not going to do that again, right? Yeah. Well, he, he comes back to, to come after them. Yeah, and it doesn't go well for him. Nope. Although maybe it does because he gets to go home and not be in the mall, but not that that's going to end up mattering. Who knows? I, I like yeah. it, It's hard to say how far it goes and how many of these people were inside the mall already because you got like those soccer zombies later were yeah. those were those like it, it seems like it's a team of soccer players or maybe it's a bunch of dudes who worked at a footlocker uh, yeah i could have gone either way uh, <laughs> we did see them getting annoyed by the drinking games in the sushi bar oh okay so maybe they are the last other uh the the last other customer or the only customers left in the place because the rest of them work there i guess it it could still just be that they work at a footlocker it, it really could because it uh, does seem mall, like most of the people at the end of the movie are employees of the mall it's it's got a fast times after hours sort of vibe yeah definitely uh but the mall so empty for the most of the movie and then is super crowded with zombies in the climax which i just found interesting well everyone's in the stores Right, like they're they're all in the actual businesses because it's their own businesses. Oh yeah, yeah. I think yeah. And then as they're going, as they're like gradually closing their shops and going out for closing time, that's when they're getting got, I guess. I think so. So although I do think some people are coming in from outside as well. They would have to be because there are more people in the climax uh, in the parking lot than we have seen in the whole entire movie up to that point. Mm -hmm. Uh, So after dealing with our uh, Four Eyes friend, they notice that the the trunk of the car is open now and they're freaking out. Well, not only is it open, but like, yeah, (laughs) it's destroyed. Like it's it's like disgusting. It's smoking, smoking. It's like this, like covered in like this moldy fungus looking stuff. Uh, It's. It's a really simple effect, but really gross. It's yeah, it's like so a grayish gross. white. It's it's nasty looking. This is very lo-fi. This movie, mm-hmm. uh, the the effects are all very lo-fi. The makeup, the zombie makeup, doesn't look spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> no, it job. doesn't. Yeah, no, it works. Um, the lighting and the camera angles do a lot of work in this movie, and the location. The location is huge. Uh, I, I do think, yeah, it's it's nicely lit uh, and just it's got it's got a vibe. It's got an aesthetic. Uh, it, it is totally just all of the mirrors and glass and reflective uh, surfaces of the mall do a whole lot for uh, drawing the eye. You, you don't need to look at the zombies so much because there's just so much reflecting around them all the time. The zombies aren't really on the screen for very long anyways. No, and they're not fast zombies exactly. Like it's not doing the twenty-eight days later thing, but they're they're like ambling. They they're not really slow like a classic Romero zombie. Yeah, they're 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 interesting zombies. They seem to have at least some memory of their former life, which kind of is Romero-esque. Oh. But like they well yeah, some of the R- R- Romero zombies have 
So, you know, it's why they returned to the mall. That's sort of kind of the whole right. concept of Dawn of the Dead. They they kind of remembered going there oh. in their lives. <laughs> uh, but yeah, here, obviously, they there there are direct things because there are bio zombies. I don't know what the difference really is, but, you know, they're being used as a bio weapon, I guess, is the idea. But obviously, Loy remembers a lot, or at least he definitely remembers how much he was in love with Rolls. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, the other guy remembers how to use a vending machine, kind of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all all uh, Dawn of the Dead-y stuff, where they just, like, play with shit. <laughs> uh, that vending machine. I so wanted Kui to get crushed. Oh, yeah, that would have been funny. Yeah, so after seeing the uh, the mold-infested trunk, uh, they, they hear a phone ringing. And it's this, uh, it's obviously our victim, our hit-and-run victim's phone this yellow motorola thing that i guess would have been really high end at the time but it looks like a toy phone it looks like i was just gonna say yeah it looks like fisher price almost i would say tonka it it has the same Mm. color as like a tonka truck uh it it folds up it kind of looks like it would be maybe a transformers toy yeah it's weird (laughs) yep so (laughs) but cell phone culture this is 98 this is the same year or this is like Maybe is it the same? Yeah, I think it's the same year as uh, fucking Amal. Oh, geez, wow. <laughs> I mean, Marcus would really love. Uh, I, I mean, he and Kui, I think, would really vibe together. I think they'd get along. I think they'd really see eye to eye, uh, both in terms of just the cell phones and uh, that women should shut up. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, <laughs> Kui just doesn't have a Johan to go. What? Well, I mean, unfortunately, Mrs. Kui is kind of his Johan. Oh, uh, yeah, but she's forced him into that. She's He's forced her into that role. Well, we don't really know how uh, their relationship works at all, other than that no, uh, he tells her to shut up. I mean, it, it does seem that she does want more or that she does want B, ultimately. Yeah. Um, who wouldn't, though? He's such a sweetie. He's adorable. <laughs> And he is the prettiest in the movie, too. Yes, actually, no, not not even just. Yes. I didn't really need to think about it long. So like, I think like, well, Rose is nice and so is Jelly. But yeah, come on. <laughs> B's a very pretty man. <laughs> Woody is talking into the phone. Uh, it's just like a. The, whoever is calling hangs up immediately and then after he does Woody starts going off like yeah well I'm gonna kill you you piece of shit you better not fe- fuck with me blah 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 and he gets off the phone he's like I'm gonna kill this guy and, and B just with a smile on his face says I support you I support you <laughs> I'm gonna kill this guy and B I, I don't know if it's I, I think he may have already mentioned it once by this point, but it's his running thing is he keeps coming back to, I am going to kill a man someday. Uh, it's his destiny. It's written so, in the stars. So certainly with, with uh, Woody being like, oh, I'm going to kill this guy. It's like, yeah, I support that. Uh, I, I'm definitely going to do that someday myself. <laughs> I mean, you could argue that they already did with the, oh no, he wasn't driving. Yeah, that that was still basically Woody. Yeah. So after receiving this threatening phone call, <laughs> they go to sell the phone. Of course. <laughs> and they're anything like, for a buck. 
Of course. <laughs> well, they they also need money because they damaged the the boss's car again. Yep. And there, there was something else that they needed money for. I can't remember what it was. Oh, I, I, I don't recall. Maybe the last time they damaged it. Who knows? Maybe. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's right. The, they needed like 20000 for something or other. Yeah, there was someone who they owed money to. I, I Maybe it was a betting or something. I don't know. Oh, they lost the horse race um, at one point. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, they, they're betting on horses and shit. Yeah. And basically, yeah, they're just pissing away all their money. <laughs> I think it even, even at one point they say, like, no, man, I shouldn't have money. I'll just spend it all if I do. <laughs> yeah. What's the point? Yeah. Uh, they get into a big argument over how much uh, Kui should buy the phone for. And every time he tries to haggle, Kui just goes down. He's like, no, I'm just going to keep going down. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, your our original thing of fifteen hundred was fine then. It's like, no, fourteen hundred. <laughs> fine. That that extra hundred is my gift to you. Yeah. Fine. Fine. Uh, and uh, again, every time uh, Mrs. Quee tries to interject or have any sort of expertise on it, because she seems to one who actually knows things about the phones. She seems to. We don't kind find of the impression sure, I get. That's the impression I get. Yeah. Uh, but she never gets to. F- finish a sentence yeah uh, so you know they sell the phone to them and again yeah there there's this whole animosity about being lowballed so of course that's going to come back to bite them in the ass because uh the zombie is going to come back for his phone very soon very soon and that's again Uh, another thing to them retaining memory is he comes back for his phone he comes looking for it yeah which he's able to find and identify uh yeah the zombie's it doesn't matter much how they work, but yeah, they don't work like regular zombies. They're bio zombies. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I do like when whenever we get zombie vision, there's a few different ways that it shows up. Mm-hmm. But before that, we have to follow these idiots uh, with their half-baked plans to make money some more. So now they realize that they they got they got fourteen hundred bucks, which is nowhere near enough to cover their debt. So. Uh, now they're just gonna go rob somebody. Oh yeah, we'll we'll rob Rolls. Uh, we'll we know she Rolls. has some money because she's been. Uh, I, I think they saw her her billfold or something earlier. They they know she's got she's packing some cash, uh, from her works. So it's like oh we can rob her. We'll uh, I I do they wear masks or anything? Like I can't remember how they conceal themselves. Well, this is so stupid. Like, okay, first of all, don't shit where you eat. Like, you don't rob from your own place of work. Come on. Especially I've known people, people who do it. You know, yeah, it's it's the thing so that happens. Uh, so it's it's not even unrealistic. Uh, oh no, it's but, it's realistic. It's just stupid. Oh, it's extremely stupid. I feel like it's probably not even uncommon. Like, this is a thing that they've done before. This is probably a thing that. Uh, I completely can envision Brother Kui having done before. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Woody puts this like bandana up over his face. It's like so that she doesn't recognize us. Mm-hmm. These two are wearing the most distinctive outfits in the world. You and cannot they, mistake them for anyone. They've been hanging out with her today. They, yes. A couple times they've had conversations. They're planning on hanging out with her later. <laughs> 
So how they end up robbing her is they, they find her in the woman's bathroom. They, when she comes out of the stall, uh, this is where I think maybe B isn't so great. Oh yeah. No, they, they all have out, problems. Oh yeah. He has machete. So right. B's got this he's, machete in his foot or in his and, sock. Oh yeah. And he immediately strikes at her, but like misses. The only reason he doesn't get her in the head is because Woody uh, dumped like puts a bucket over her head so that she can't see and then gets her in a chokehold on the floor. Right. So he hits the bucket instead of yeah. her head. Yeah. Well, it's it's like he's saying he's going to kill someone someday. He's just like he's working up to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it weren't for the bucket, he would have buried that thing in her skull. Yeah. Yeah. So this is actually a really violent crime. Uh, like holding her down on the ground in a chokehold while B pulls her wallet and her ring from her finger that she just bought. Yeah, it's a full-on robbery. Yeah, and and then they run away and go back to their store, which is literally right next door to the bathroom, and pretend to be asleep doing the most, like, obvious, cartoony, like, one-eye-open thing, watching her. Well, and she she knows it's them pretty much immediately. She, she doesn't yeah. she doesn't come out and say and she like looks and then they propose like she she stops into the store and mentions that she was around. And was like, do you guys know anything? And they're like, no, no, we just you know we're we're working late, working hard. Uh, yeah. And she proposes to have dinner with them later. They're they're all gonna meet together at the sushi shop later. And she goes back to her shop and tells Jelly. I'm pretty sure it was those guys. I'm going to get them drunk and they'll just tell me because they're that stupid. And she's correct. She is correct. <laughs> she gets Woody drunk enough and he tells her. <laughs> yep. Yep. They go to the sushi shop. Woody and B are there first and the <laughs> trying to order. It's like, what's good? Sushi guy's like, everything's good. What do you want? <laughs> what, yeah. what do you recommend? I like it's it so all. Obnoxious. You have to yeah. tell me what you want. Yeah, just order something, you jerks. You, and it, again, probably something they've dealt with before, probably, probably not new. They work in this mall. They work, like, a oh, few yeah. stores down from the sushi shop. They they know what's good and what's not good. They're just being assholes. <laughs> yep. And, and then when Jelly and Roll show up, Sushi Boy's like, oh, you're with them? Yeah. Hi, Sushi Boy. But it, she also, like, I, I'll have the regular. Like, she knows them, and he's happy to get it for her, you know? Mm -hmm. He knows what she likes. So <laughs> this part is hilarious. They get, over the course of what couldn't be, like, it doesn't feel like more than maybe 20 minutes have passed. They get so fucking hammered at the sushi shop. Uh, they're playing their obnoxious drinking game. Right, and, and everyone's like getting annoyed. Everybody's like, you need to stop making so much noise. Yeah, uh, so they're, like, trying to whisper uh, their drinking game, and it doesn't work out, so... Well, they keep starting to get louder and louder, and finally, uh, you know, the, the the people who work there is like, you need to stop, we're going to call the police. Yeah, and it's like, it's always like, hey, no, no, don't call the police, you don't got to call them, it's fine, it's fine. It's fine, whatever. Uh, and uh, Woody and Rolls sneak off to get it on in the bathroom. Yeah, it's right here before they start making out, uh, where it's like, did you rob me and steal my ring? Hell yes, yeah. I did. Yeah, <laughs> it was and me. Then, <laughs> and 
then she barfs on him. Right. And she throws up on him. him. And and also there was the thing they I think it's in between he goes and tries to sell the ring and finds out it's a fake and that she got ripped off. Oh, uh, that's zombie. Uh, B does that. And he actually yeah. walks in when Rolls is talking to to Woody and, and is like, it's fake. And he's like, what's fake? What are you talking about? Oh, Nothing's right. fake. You don't know right. anything. Let's just stop talking about this right, right. now. When, when they decide to go to dinner. Yeah. 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 Uh, meanwhile, the uh, patrolman in the parkade gets got in the most hilarious way. He gets he pulled gets, under the car. And then this fucking like so much blood of blood like so much much blood (laughs) so much it's the only person who gets got in this sort of way there's no one else who gets that gushy of a death because we see people get mauled by zombies in various other points in the movie no one gets turned into like a tide of red (laughs) (laughs) but we do see people die in creative ways true and i guess this guy's the first because he's probably a victim of the original zombie and then it's after that 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 zombie gets into the building because we see some of his pov going through the corridors of the mall and then getting his phone back yeah yeah so after they've been away for a while sushi boy decides to go to the bathroom and he listens like he hears them getting it on in the ladies room next door so he goes to the bathroom to cry because that's what you do when you're this guy yeah, he's real sad. Yeah. Uh, I really like that when he takes off his glasses, the entire screen, like the whole frame goes blurry. Mm-hmm. I was expecting the zombie to come up behind him here, but it doesn't happen that way. The zombie does end up biting him, though. Uh, I think when he's coming out of the bathroom. Yeah, he he's attacked in the hallway by the zombie. And then, like, the other guys all come running because there's someone screaming and being attacked. Well, first he runs into the bathroom to roll to warn Woody and Rolls, and they're just like, "You're cock blocking me with a monster story? Get out of here!" Oh yeah, but he's bleeding yeah. profusely. <laughs> yeah, but why should that matter, right? Well, they are also very drunk. Yeah, and assholes to begin with. Then of course the zombie isn't in the stall anymore, and they're like, "Why did you make this whole thing up, man? You suck. Fuck you." So. They take Sushi Boy back to the beauty salon where they do notice and bandage up his uh, big bleeding neck wound. Right. And they're they're still like half believing, half not believing that he was attacked. But obviously something happened to him. Uh, yeah. And he's totally obsessed with her. Mm-hmm. He, he continues to make it clear that he is completely obsessed with her. And, uh, yeah, she's not interested. So Cindy, uh, I guess the girl who owns the beauty salon is like, dude, you're not going to get her, but let me help you out. Or let me give you some help by selling you overpriced beauty products, of course, because everyone has to be an asshole. Well, everything's a scam. Everything's an opportunity for a scam. So (laughs) she, she, uh, this dying person whose wounds she's bandaging uh, (laughs) selling him a bunch of crappy beauty treatments yeah and then she's like oh wow you get acne really quick when his uh, zombification starts to set in right yeah it starts to like come up out of his face it's gross yeah it is gross i mean it's not a good it's not it's not a good effect but you know it yeah like it gets the job done it works yeah it's it's nasty it looks yucky 
it's it's very strange the way it works because it's not like them rotting or anything it's just they become deformed it's like the their insides are melting yeah like something's like the... bubbling up from under their skin kind of yeah because it's weird it doesn't kill them but it does make them monsters <laughs> yeah it's it's never clear what this stuff actually does it's just bad juju it's zombie juice you know it's, zombie it's juice. you know it's it's the brain dead thing Computer yeah. Dead. Uh, so meanwhile, Brother Kui has been broken into and one phone has been taken. Of course, oh. the, yeah, the yellow. I mean, who's who could it be? Which one could it who be? Who could it be? Who could have taken it too? Well, so, yeah, they, they immediately suspect uh, being Woody because you know, obviously, obviously. <laughs> they're they're the people to to suspect. They're doing nothing to try to clear their own name. They're just like probably stole it because you lowballed him i bet you i didn't do it but if i did you'd deserve it oh yeah you know they they definitely uh had it coming so whatever and uh they ultimately call the police Mm -hmm. well they don't call the police the security guard calls the police but first, one of my favorite bits is Brother Queese like, all right, that's it. I got so many lackeys. Oh, They're yeah. going to come here and kick your ass. And he phones up his buddy. He's like, hey, uh, get some lackeys over here. We're going to kick some ass. Yeah, get get together some guys. And then the phone, like both B and Woody's phones ring and you know, answers. <laughs> You're like, uh, no, I can't really come to a thing right now. <laughs> yeah, want to do a job and kick some guy's ass for Brother Kui? It's volunteer work. And, and Woody's like, oh, yeah, no, I know about this. I'm already here. You don't have to oh, yeah. worry about this job. Yeah, don't worry. Got it, got it sorted. Got it handled. <laughs> so many lackeys, huh? And Kui's like, all right. All but right. It's... I've been outfoxed. <laughs> yeah. It's actually the mall cop who calls yeah, the police. The the security guard. Big hose. And I wonder if that's a mistranslation and it's supposed to be big horse or if it really is big hose. It could go either way. But yeah, he called the cops and these fucking cops are just like everybody else in this movie. Yeah, they're useless. And it's just so it's such bureaucratic nonsense. Like, well, we have been called in now. Uh, the the guy, uh, big horse. It's ox. Is oh, is supposed it? to be ox? Okay, because in the subtitles, it is definitely yeah, big kind hose. of weird subtitles. This is uh, the new vinegar syndrome release. Uh, some of the yeah, some they they do tend to like subtitles is sort of their weakest point at times. Oh well, like you, you can remember, Champagne and Bullets had some pretty rough ones. Uh, we, we, we've seen some in, at times that are not the best. And yeah, I, I think both the zombie thing is an odd stylization where I think it's universally described as crazy bee otherwise. And uh, large horse or whatever. He's, he's ox. <laughs> ox. Ox makes sense. You would call this guy ox. Yeah. Not big hose. <laughs> just makes me think of a garden hose or maybe the guy just has a huge cock. I don't know. Well, yeah. Who knows? big horse which does sort of suggest that it's supposed to be ox big horse yeah. uh but yeah he's the one who calls the police and everyone's like what the hell did you call the police are you kidding you called cops you never called the cops you dick <laughs> well you got broken into yeah i was handling it yeah, I, was, I was sorting it out right now i mean not really but enough yeah definitely don't want the cops poking around my store for reasons yeah 
So, yeah, the cops are annoying. The cops, uh, they get everybody into the security room to watch the footage. Before we see some footage of Woody and B beating up Sushi Boy a little bit, who, after he has been turned into a zombie, uh, and he's holding it. Oh, yeah, we kind of missed, we kind of skipped over it, but they, they do run into Sushi Boy in the hallway and beat him up a little bit. Not much, but, you know, they beat him up a little bit. As somewhat a zombie now. Yes, yeah, somewhat uh, a zombie. Before that is also where they're taking their two statements and they're both on the two oh, sides of that thing. Is that later? Is that later? Uh, I'm pretty sure that's before because when they're in the security offices, when they get oh, attacked, yeah, by that's zombies. when they get handcuffed. Okay, so you're right. The statement thing happens first, and this is the best visual thing in the whole film by far. It's such a clever gag because it's the two of them both back to back. Like the two cops are back to back, and they're talking to B and woody on either side of the screen and there's just a silver bar down the middle that yeah, looks like, like, like a, a split, split screen, screen. and yeah. it's hilarious because their statements aren't lining up remotely like it's just They're pretty far off it's such complete bullshit and and it goes like this for a few minutes and then they step away and it turns out they were just on either sides of a corner of this it's really hard to describe, but they were on either sides of a corner of like this mirrored column. Yeah, well, they're, they're, it's it's at a corner of the mall. So you've got two corridors going either way that look, both look pretty much exactly the same. They're both all mirrored. They're all glass. Every spot looks the same. They're right on the very edge of it. And yeah, it sort of looks like a split screen, and then they just turn and look at each other, and it's like, well, I guess everything checks out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Even though it completely doesn't. No, they, they say it's like, wow, these guys' stories don't line up in the least. And that's when they decide to go to the control room. Right, so they they, they handcuff Woody, but not B, right? No, B gets handcuffed as well. They both get handcuffed? Okay. They both get handcuffed, and they're looking at the security footage. The one cop says to uh, Ox, he's like, well, here, pan the camera left. And Ox is like, this is a security footage. It's pre-recorded. You yeah, can't it's a, pan it's it. A, it's a camera, my dude. <laughs> <laughs> and he looks to the other cop. And this is another, like, one of my favorite parts. He's like, is your partner, like, crazy <laughs> or something? And the other cop just, like, so offended. He's like, dude, that's my partner that's you're talking my about. partner. How could you say that thing, man? I owe this guy my life. And he just goes off on him. But it's it's like he feels like it's got an enhance function. Yeah, enhance. right. <laughs> enhance, basically, which I love enhance functions. There's no such thing. <laughs> Blade Runner did it best. You just need to look around the corner in the photograph. That is right. a real Philip K. Dick thing. That's so perfectly <laughs> Philip K. Dick. Uh, as they're going through uh, B and Woody's wallets, uh, one of the cops is like, oh, hey, today's your birthday. And it starts making like this sad, sad music. We, we missed earlier because uh, it, it's been coming up. He's been sadly telling everyone but Woody that it's his birthday. He told Cindy, the other, or no, Jelly. He told Jelly, Jelly at, when when they had uh, stepped away to, uh, oh, yeah. when Rolls and Woody had stepped away to the bathroom, he told her about it then and was sad that, you know, it's his birthday and he wanted to go see a movie with her. He wanted to see uh, Titanic. Titanic, right. That comes up quite <laughs> frequently. But she is too passed out to even hear what he said. Yeah. 
So it's this running thing that it's his birthday and he wants to go see Titanic, even though he's seen it before. Yeah. But he wants to go see it with a girl. Right. Which, fair. Yeah, and it's his birthday, and he yeah. can't seem to express that to any. He can't express that to Woody, who seems to be the person he most wants to that wants to know it. And Woody seems to be like hurt. Is like, why didn't you tell me? I tried to. I can't read your mind. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, man. And he also bonds with Ox. Woody bonds with Ox because they're from the same small town or yep, something. They speak the same. I don't know if it's a different language or a different dialect. Uh, Hakka, I don't know what it is. Yeah, I'm not sure. It seems to be some sort of regional dialect of some kind. But yeah, they 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 sort of bond over that. And they're, he feels bad now for calling the cops because, yeah, what a mess this has been. What a waste <laughs> yep. of everyone's time. Yeah, the cops are like, uh, they're investigating the, the mall. And one of the cops is like looking into the security camera and waving to the other one all happy, like, hey, I'm on TV kind of thing. And that's when the original zombie breaks into the security room and just fucking goes goes ham on everybody. Yeah, so Ox gets got. Ox gets got. The other cop gets got. And... And they're they're firing at the zombie and they keep shooting in the body, of course. And it takes it, there's the really long <laughs> take where he has to think about it and he has a flashback to playing. I think it's one of those classic zombie games, like uh, yeah, like House of the Dead or it, so, yeah, it might here. actually be House of the Dead or something like that. It looks House of the Deady, and yeah, he's like. <gasps> Aim for the, the head! head. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta do the aim for the head. It's such a big moment in a zombie yep. movie. So, yeah, he shoots him in the head, and the original zombie is dealt with. The original zombie is dealt with, but the but cop he's has been created bit. a whole bunch of others already. Well, we've got Loy walking around zombified. We yep. have no idea how many others. And there's uh, there's Patrolman. Uh, the other cop had been got. Or no, no, the other cop gets got later, I think, because they have to get the key out of his mouth. Right. And so Ox comes back to, or like, he, he, as a zombie, starts shutting down the mall. Yeah, he starts doing the thing that they did in um, Alien Covenant, where it's like closing and opening shutters and stairways and stuff to guide the zombies to the non-zombified people. But we don't, we don't get a huge look at that, but that's what he's doing. I kind of got the impression that he was just shutting them all down because it's the end of the night and it's his job. He is the security guy. So he closes the shutters down. I don't think he was make more sense. Yeah. I don't think it was any sort of zombie guiding thing. I think it was just, well, routine. Let's go shut them all down. Yeah. And it's, it's the end of the night. So it's now mostly just people who work in the various shops who we're dealing with in the mall. So jelly's back. Uh, and she's hanging out with them. Yeah. Oh, right. I should I should have mentioned they got they managed to get the keys to one of the handcuffs out of the cop, but they had to like Woody <laughs> Woody had to like he was handcuffed to a computer monitor and he just had to basically steal that and run out of the security room. Right. So he's just walking around with a with a big fucking computer monitor for a while. Yeah, they run into the Queez and it's like, run, run, zombies are coming. And Brother Queez like, what the fuck are you talking about? You're just trying to cover up for stealing some more shit. Right. It seems like he's looting a computer monitor. It's like, what? You're just trying to steal that thing and uh, make us look the other way. But they are indeed zombies coming. Yeah. 
Mrs. Quee is like, I don't know. She he sounded ser- pretty serious. Shut up. Shut up. What do you know? You don't know anything about blah, blah. <laughs> the, the usual thing. So the usual they, thing. They uh, ultimately they, they all hide out in the beauty parlor where I think Loy is. Loy no, had. Loy has a, gone with Rolls back to the sushi bar, right? Yeah. Loy. uh while this was happening in the security room, Loy has gotten – he got Cindy, and then he kidnapped Rolls but does not turn her and right. uh, takes her to the Right, he's protecting her bar. from the other zombies. Mm-hmm. That's, that is exactly what he's doing. In fact, the soccer guys show up, and they're about to get her, but he feeds them sushi fingers. Oh, yeah, he's got uh, human sushi. He's got little bits of uh, one of the I, – I think it's one of the cops – and he's just chopped them up and he's uh, attached them to little rice patties and he's serving them out. <laughs> to, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. People sushi. That was fun. Yeah. The Queens go down to the parking garage and they see the parking cop zombie. So they go back up to the main floor where everybody else is and meet up with the boys. No, they find the other dead cop and here's the part where uh, they try to fish out the key for the handcuffs, but B drops it in the dude's mouth. Oh, yeah. So he has to, like, prop the mouth open with his machete to get it out. Right. And the cop wakes up at the last second, but they are able to get the handcuffs off. And here's, yeah, here's where they're hanging out in the salon. Yeah, they all hide out in the beauty parlor. Mm. But they find Cindy is dead, and they get into a real big fight over to who to can over who's to remove her and Quee's like my wife will do it <laughs> of course and at this point woody's like how are you even alive you piece of shit yeah and, and, him and he's sort of been eyeing her up uh through all of their interactions and now he's kind of putting himself out there as a much better alternative to brother Quee. mm-hmm mm-hmm so Woody and B agree to take the body just outside of the beauty parlor. Yeah. Uh, because they don't want her coming alive and coming after them, which yeah, is uh, very likely to happen at any time. Yeah. It's right around here that we see there's suddenly tons and tons of zombies, because I guess uh, the original zombie was busy off screen. Yeah, I guess so. And there's, you know, lots of people in the store and there's probably all sorts of stuff going on. We, we know it's going on outside, too, now. Yeah, we, we've got, like, janitors uh, as zombies, repairmen, uh, the the soccer guys. All yeah, they, the phones I like are that, dead. I like that they are in their soccer gear and they have a soccer ball, too. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> you're a soccer zombie. you got to have the ball. So Woody goes to try and get a hold of the police because they don't realize that it's going on outside yet. And they're like, okay, we are actually in a situation that maybe the police might be worthwhile to call. So. Yeah. He goes out, but he finds Rolls being attacked by zombies in the sushi bar. But Loy is sort of fighting them off, so he pulls Rolls out of there in between. Yeah, he pulls Rolls out of there. Uh, sushi Boy attacks attacks uh, Woody, but but uh, Rolls bashes him over that head with the gift that he picked out for her as a zombie. Oh, sick. Yeah, and he's like all sad. It's like, oh... Wow. Although My he continues to protect her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He'll continue to for a while, because even in the car garage, he's yeah, Right until the end. Yeah. 
Now, at this point, Woody has taken a gun from one of the cops and is shooting zombies with that. Yeah, people are starting to get kind of geared up. Uh, everybody's got a weapon other than uh, Mr. Quee. Yeah, uh, Mr. Quee has a big temper tantrum over these cup noodles that his wife made. <laughs> what a like, dick. This is so pathetic. Like, it's not even their food, and it's just, ugh. It, it, she she gave she gave B his favorite flavor instead of him. Yeah, so he throws his, his soup on the ground and huffs. So she gives him hers, and he throws it on the ground and huffs. And then B gives her his, which he slaps onto the ground and huffs. Yeah, he he's just a complete shit in this situation. Just what a what an absolute yeah. utter tool. Meanwhile. Uh, Woody is like trying to wipe the blood off of Rolls and pulls out the handkerchief and the ring falls out. And she's yeah. like, oh, you found my ring. <laughs> I mean, she already knew that he had done it, but now he knows that she knows. Uh, yeah, but he still denies it at this point. And I think that they were so drunk that they don't remember that he confessed to it. Oh, yeah, I, I think he completely forgot that he he told her. Yeah, she no, she remembers. She remembers. Yeah, I think he forgot. <laughs> yep. So they they make for the elevator. They're like, we got to get out of here. We we can't defend this small area. If the, one of them comes in here, we're completely screwed. Yeah, yeah. So they all they all get onto the elevator, but they're over the weight limits. They're all looking at each other like, uh, what do we do? And Brother Quee just shoves Jelly out of the elevator and. At jams a on the because a zombie's coming. Yeah, at a, into a zombie and just jams on the door closing button. And they're all like, "What the fuck are you doing? You, that's it. You you suck. You're not in our team anymore." Wow. You're out. They they throw uh, him out, and then Mrs. Quee is forced to go with him because like he keeps berating her to go with him. You know, she sort of wants to stay. Yeah, and, and they even they would have let her hey, stay with us. Don't yeah. go with this guy. Holy mm. shit. And like they they run to go see if they can rescue Jelly, but uh, she's already dead by the time they get there. Oh, no, this is the part where Mrs. Quee slaps him and does leave him. Oh, she does leave him here briefly, yep. very briefly, because then then it's just total zombie chaos. And that's when we get the big uh, reveal They get the stat sequence. Yeah. So uh, now now they're gearing up. They're going to take the fight to the zombies. Woody with his electric drill, his 300 power, and his 170 life points. Uh, Rolls with her rusty saw, uh, 160 power, and 100 life points. They just go down and down and down, and someone's like, wow, I'm surprised B is so weak. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) B's got 200 life. He has more than anybody else. Oh, it was someone else. There was someone who's like, their life points was like, woof. (laughs) Yeah, that's Mr. Quee. He has 75. Mr. Quee got nothing. And he doesn't get a badass pose like everyone else. He gets a cowering in a corner pose. Well, and he's the only one who doesn't have a weapon either. Yes, he he has no weapon. Um, still 150 power somehow. But it won't matter. No. <laughs> because he does not kill a zombie. No, he's the next to go. Uh, one of my favorite bits here, they like find a pipe with like a tap at on the end like a faucet and they stick oh, yeah. it in the back of a zombie's head and then turn on the faucet to drain all the blood, blood comes from out it. it's pretty cool yeah 
That's the the slipcover on the on the desk. Yep. Brother Kui, while trying to run from a zombie, gets trapped behind a vending machine with a zombie who just wants his damn drink, and the machine won't give it to him. So he's, like, brawling with the vending machine, and it keeps seeming like Mr. Kui's going to be crushed, and he can't cry out, or the zombie will notice him. Uh, but he, unfortunately, does not get crushed, and he yep. quietly creeps out from behind, but then uh, a zombie gets him anyways. <laughs> Well, as he creeps out from behind when he sees a zombie going after Mrs. Quee. Right. So they're both, like, being dragged apart in different directions by zombies. Uh, he's holding her hand, and she's holding his. <laughs> and his arm gets <laughs> ripped completely off. off. He's not it's, even zombied yet. Right. It, it's He's not even being bit around the arm. It's just his arm it just, just completely off. separates. It's so funny. <laughs> And like then he's a they wishbone. Get... Yeah, and then yeah, they get they both get eaten. Uh, and yeah. B B screams. He sees Mrs. Quee get bitten, and you know he's kind of uh, low key into her. So you know he freaks out, and then a zombie gets him. Yep. Uh, so we got B rolls and Woody in the elevator, and B's not doing so good. In right. fact, he's doing real bad. And yeah, this, you this... can tell. This zombification takes place really quickly. It's it's a very fast zombie uh, life cycle. Yeah. Uh, they get into the security room and he's like, hey, look, I've been bit. I'm not going to make it. Uh, you need to take my Game Boy camera and take a picture of me. Uh, like, <laughs> like, it's all sad and stuff. But yeah, it's like, yeah, I'm not going to make it. You got to take a picture of me and put it on my tombstone. I can't have you on my tombstone, though. It's bad luck. Yeah, you guys got to live. Yeah, you guys got to get out of here. You're so lucky. Rose is really hot. She has such great tits, man. You're so lucky. And then Ox shows up. <laughs> yep, Ox shows up, and before they're about to mercy kill him, he just grabs him, drags him through the, gra- the glass, takes his head off, I believe. No, no, Woody machetes yeah, Woody uh, Ox's cuts- head off. Yeah. Uh, and then he also cuts off B's head, but it's much more of a, a gentle thing. Like, he has died. Like, Ox yeah. kills him, he drags him off, and then he takes his machete and he holds it over him and he sort of has a moment with him and apologizes for not remembering his birthday and stuff. And then he cuts the head off before he yeah. comes back as a zombie. Right. And then they got to make their big uh, parking lot escape. Right, and it's much like demons. Aforementioned, it's a lot like demons crawling with fucking zombies in the parking garage. That's where they've all somehow ended up. Yeah, so they've they've got to get out the, but the shutter to get outside is closed, and they're like, well, just run through it, just run it over. It's like with this piece of shit, we can't do that. Right, they're still using the boss's beat up car. Yeah, because that's but the one they Lloyd. have the keys to. Loy to the rescue. Sushi Boy lifts the grate, uh, but then they can't get the car started. So then he's got to go behind and push the car. Yeah, Loy pushes the car for them to uh, get them out of there. Yep. <laughs> well, he gets, I don't know if he gets got because he's been got. I mean, he gets mobbed by a bunch more zombies and he looks really put upon. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) that's that's sort of the fun of him. He is a character who just looks eternally, extremely put upon. Yeah, totally. this is 
This is, uh, I, I love this actor's name, Emotion Chung. That's his name? That's the name of the actor who plays Loy. He's in a bunch of the, in all of the Made in Hong Kong uh, Category 3 Vinegar Syndrome box set, he's in all of them. And yeah, his name's <laughs> Emotion Chung. Great name. That's that's like right up there with Action Jackson. Right, just like the, the names in the movie for the characters. It's an excellent name. <laughs> totally. But yeah, so he he gets taken down, and they get out, and they find that the whole world is this way. Shit has really, really gone bad tonight. Yeah, yeah. So the like the news reports, the emergency broadcast is like, hey, um, barricade yourself into your homes. Uh, do not drink any soda because it might be contaminated. There's and- danger of soft drinks being contaminated, but. Uh, Rolls has pulled like because their the leftover Lucasade, they just put it in the center console, and yeah. she's pulled it. She's pulled it out to take a drink while he's listening to this uh, this emergency broadcast. And like, oh shit! Yeah, he watches her drink it. Uh, then he gets into the car. And he stares at the Lucasade for a good long time, and then before. he pounds the rest of it back. Roll credits. Yes, yeah, so the two of them are going to be zombies together. Yeah. What a fucking wild movie. I was not expecting that that uh, bleak ending right after they just triumphantly escaped. <laughs> it's sort of fitting with these characters and how just everyone is such a shit. Yep. <laughs> it's fun. I It's a really good time. It's it's such a zany movie. Like It has that really propulsive Sam Raimi, Evil Dead sort of energy. The way the camera moves, it's very kinetic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the location we've talked quite a bit about, but it's great. So uh, rad. I love nothing. the music, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the music is really good in this. Uh, like, the whole mall feels like a funhouse of mirrors, kind of. Yeah, and it's just so 90s mall. Like, you you have some cell phones, but it's the, the early cell phones. It yeah. It's not the mall experience that I'm used to, but it's just, it's so, it, it's like, a crucible of mall. It's it's the ultra dense mall. <laughs> Singularity of malls. I I feel like I would get so lost in here, and it's so oh, claustrophobic, it. and it looks so pretty. But I would not like to exist in this location. No, I mean it would be kind of fun to walk around in once, but I I wouldn't want to have to go there as a mall that I need to go to to get stuff. If this were like my local mall, that would be a pain in the ass. It's really unpleasant. Yeah so claustrophobic but yeah it's a really cool location for a for a, a zombie movie mm-hmm. yeah this is it was really fun i really like it yeah kind of rips it's a pretty good pretty good time mm-hmm. and that's the second movie of our neon death uh theme mm-hmm. so i was it was just going to be a death theme but i was like so many of our movies our, yeah, there, many of our episodes can be death. But the thing is, it's it's both life after death. They're both uh, movies about kind of exploring the boundaries of uh, life after death. It's just one. It's and, and they're also both sort of about morality. It's just one of them. Our characters are moral, and one of them, our characters are absolutely not moral. Well, I swear I'm. I mean, I never do, but I swear I'm not going to intentionally pick themed ones and then just come up with a theme to tie them together later on. Sure, time. sure. So, any last thoughts on BioZombie? Oh, actually, one thing. Uh, I, I'm a Vinegar Syndrome subscriber, so this one has that really cool slip case. The super oh, 90s one with the... <laughs> looks kind of like a trapper keeper. 
Oh my god, yeah. Super cool. <laughs> it was like oh, the nineties were so ugly. Bright neon green and day glow, and you've got like that one part that sort of looks like it's a hologram of a mouth. Oh, mm-hmm. it's so cool. I really dig it. <laughs> I love it, but I'm glad that's not the style right now. <laughs> yeah. I can see hey, it's the coming past back where I can yeah. It's coming back. Yeah. Well, the so, 80s came back. It was only a matter of time. There's only like three styles. Yeah, well, sort of. <laughs> no, <I'm>, no. <laughs> that's oversimplifying. But I stick with it anyway. Everything's cyclical. Yes. So, uh, do you have any last thoughts before we head on to our third and final section? Uh, yeah. Let's get some Lucasade. I want to try that shit. All right. And we're back for our third and final section where we're talking about the other movies we've watched on physical media in the past week and deciding what we're going to cover next week. All right, what do we got this time? So first up, we've got The Executioner, uh, The Executioner 2, Karate Inferno. Karate Inferno? That's okay. <clears throat> Great title. Is that one of the Sunny Chiba ones? It is the sequel to the previous uh, Sunny Chiba Executioner, the one I talked about last week uh cool. where you know it's got the bit where you hit someone in the back of the head and their eyes pop out uh, <laughs> right this one is actually a direct sequel unlike a lot of these sunny chiba ones where you have a sequel that seems to have nothing to do with the previous one <laughs> this one the whole cast comes back it's uh the same director and it is a direct sequel it's like okay we're gonna get the gang back together we're gonna go on this other thing they they, they were sort of quasi licensed by the police they're like this karate hit squad who were sort of funded by dark money in the police mm-hmm. department in the first one this one you know he gets them back together because there's this uh child has been kidnapped and this really expensive uh necklace has been stolen and they oh no they're supposed to uh take care of the ransom you know ensure that the kid gets back safely and also get back the money and the necklace by you know sort of following the threads when they uh, come to pay it off right but it turns out to be a whole scam uh there the the lady is in with the mob and there's this uh bank that the mob controls so they decide fuck it we're gonna not you know they, they kind of get cut out of the deal and they were supposed to get paid for doing this other stuff but since she's shady and she's working with them it's all this whole money laundering scheme and anyway they're cut out of the money and you know, they they want their money <laughs> so they decide to knock over a mob bank. It kind of becomes an Ocean's Eleven type thing. We need the money, though. We need the money. Uh, it's way, way sillier than the first. Like, it's goofballs. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, very, very goofy. Tons of dick and fart jokes. A lot of looking up skirts. Yeah, oh. The action's <laughs> still pretty funny, but it is an obvious, pretty distinct step down from the first one. Uh, it does have that part that I sent you the clip of where Sonny Chiba punches a guy's head until it swivels all the way around on his neck. That was pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. Good bit. Uh, next, we've got Highway Racer, which is the next one in the Arrow Years of Lead box. Cool. So this is the one where it's uh, it, it's it's kind of the Fast and the Furious. Uh, as, as I wrote to my review, Il Veloce El Furioso. Uh, it's uh, it's you know police gonna get this undercover guy in this uh crime boss's group to uh run his uh 
you know, we're going to do some street races and get involved with this guy so we can uh, uh, deal with this crime boss who's on a whole tear. Uh, it's it's weird. It's very strange. Uh, a lot of fun, like high octane, a lot of crazy car stunts. Uh, cool. You know, it's it's fun stuff. He's I, I can't remember what the the villain what, what his main thing was. I think it's just there's this new guy, the the new cop. He's actually not any good at driving. He just really likes it. (laughs) So and he refuses to do anything skill. He's like Serpico without any skill. And he just wants to drive because it's a whole thing where he doesn't want to wear the uniform and he just wants to drive the car and (laughs) chase bad guys. But like he keeps you know, having these horrible accidents, he kills a partner by accident in, in a chase. You know, he's a loose cannon, but like he doesn't want to be in the uniform. He wants he joined the police to be in the highway racer squad, you know, <laughs> uh, it's it's bizarre. And, you know, there's the 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 cop who's his mentor is like the old version of him who used to be like the classic hotshot race guy. And he would always have these races with this uh arch villain guy who's now also working with this current bad guy oh <laughs> it's, it's pretty fun it's it's got a lot of stuff like that cool cool next we've got a month in thailand uh, which is a romanian new wave film quite recent oh so it's about this dude it's new year's eve and he's supposed to go out to this thing with his girlfriend but earlier in the day, he was at the grocery store and he saw this girl who kind of looked like his ex, maybe, or he thought it might have been her. And he's been thinking about her and he kind of feels like maybe this relationship's getting stagnant, like it's been two years and it's just, I don't know. So he breaks up with his girlfriend and he's going to spend the whole night looking for his ex, who he thinks might be in town, but she might not even be in the country. And oh, he's just boy. this sad man who's uh, just going to all these parties and just the EDM and the lights are just washing over him. <laughs> I need to break w- up with you because I saw a girl who looks like a girl I dated once and I want to like maybe I want to break up with you so that I can have the possible chance of finding her and maybe hooking up with her again. It feels like the iteration of a cycle. Like w- when he finally meets up, spoilers, he meets up with the girlfriend and he's like, "Why? Well, I don't understand why we ever brought why we ever broke up. I just you know, at the time, I thought maybe the relationship was getting stagnant and, they, you know, I was worried about this and oh, this God. thing looming. And you, you sort of feel like, oh, it's just him doing this again. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why we broke up. Uh, it's just, you know, I saw a girl who looked like my ex and I just decided I uh, had yeah. to chase her across the. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> um, it, it's interesting. I, I didn't enjoy it quite as much as the other one by the same director, two lottery tickets. But it's very interesting and it, it's it's compelling as being that yeah you you're seeing an iteration of a loop okay cool uh next we've got the hand that rocks the cradle i haven't seen this the movie that launched every lifetime movie (laughs) oh is that what this i don't even know what it's about so it's kind of heightened and trashy but played very middle brow and kind of like an oscar prestige kind of movie but it's so heightened uh so you got this they were a perfect couple uh as all of these begin yeah Uh, or but deep down (laughs) this one they were a perfect couple and they they're 
they're married, they have one daughter, and she's pregnant with uh, their next kid. And her gynecologist, John Delancey, Q from uh, Next Generation, and oh uh, boy, <laughs> you know he, he was on Breaking Bad, very memorable. Famously, yeah. He's her gynecologist, and he's a creep. He's a real creepo. He uh, he he uh, gropes her during an examination, and she reports him. And a bunch of other women come out, oh, uh, and he shoots himself in the head. You know, it's the, the this is the appropriate response. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, if you're a <laughs> gynecologist who uses your position to grope people, that's, that's yeah, about the only thing you could do. Pretty decent okay. way to go. Out. Yeah. So the thing is, his wife, uh, she's also pregnant at the time. She uh, finds out he's killed himself and she has a miscarriage and just has this total mental breakdown. Right. So cut to you know, a few months later, she uh, inserts herself in their life as the nanny under a new name. Uh, the, the life of the family who first spoke up against John Delancey? Yeah. Oh, See, they had the perfect marriage, but then she showed up to kind of get into get, get in between everything and gaslight everyone and you know, take over the family as her own since uh, she feels she was robbed of the family by this. Right. Not just an accusation. You know, it, it was the truth. It happened. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's 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 that <laughs> she's oh, usurping her. All right. Interesting. OK. Next, we've got dot com for murder. <laughs> I sent you a bunch of clips from this one because it's fucking hilarious. Uh, <laughs> it's very cornball, early aughts dot com movie, you know, and it's heavily Hitchcock inspired because it's oh. Dial M for murder, but oh. it's com for murder. com for murder, but it doesn't work because that's not well what you do. You don't you don't dot com somebody. Yeah, well, it's. It's understanding of the internet is so good, you know, like <laughs> what about murder.com? There's there's a hacker man and oh, oh he does he like, type on the keyboard and then he's in. Yeah, and this lady is in it's like a computerized home and it's it's not her house, it's her boyfriend's house and he's got this other girl and she's looking into his romantic profiles or whatever and pretending to be i think it's like lover boy 69 or something (laughs) (laughs) uh and you know it's it's an erotic chat room and she starts talking to the gal and leave her alone comes up in giant pink sizzling (laughs) letters on the screen it's the the hacker man getting in between them and then yeah, he sets his sights on her and he goes and commits a murder uh, on live cast, like doing a he, he live broadcasts himself killing someone. And then, okay. like, she's trying to call the police to tell them about that. And uh, like the cop does not understand any of these words. So it's just <laughs> not working out. And then, like, much later in the movie, a younger cop shows up and he explains, like, oh, I think it was a practical joke. He's like, no, no, no. These, these are all absolutely real things that can happen. We need to go deal with this now. <laughs> uh, it's it's fun. It's weird. Like it's it is trash, but it, it was pretty fun trash. Uh, it, it, like bad acting, a beautiful aesthetic, totally ludicrous dot com boom uh, nonsense. 
So is this in any way related to and or stealing from uh, that 90s movie The Net with Sandra Bullock? The reason I ask is because her name is Sandra Brummel. Oh, could be. I I have seen The Net, but not in a few years. And I recall it being just dreadfully boring. Yeah, I saw it when it was new and I was like, what is this? this? I'm not learning anything about the internet because they came up before I knew what the internet was. Like I knew what it was, but before I, before I had ever done the internet, that is a movie that does not get the internet either. Like it's, nope. <laughs> it's a real bad, bad, uh, internet, huh? Yeah, no, it's, it's <laughs> who, and of course also the cardinal sin of being extremely boring. Oh, well, yeah. I like hackers though. Hackers rules. Hackers holds up. But then again, you get the aesthetic there. Yeah. Uh, Next, we've got The Cell, but not that The Cell, the the one that's got an aesthetic to it. (laughs) (laughs) This is the next one in the Michael J. Murphy set. It's only like 14 minutes. Oh. (laughs) Uh, This one's one's the first one that's complete. (laughs) It's 14 minutes, and that's the whole movie. It is a short. Oh, okay. (laughs) So it's sort of medieval, uh, quasi-medieval period, and it's this, uh, she's a sex worker, and her thing is she's sent in to spend the night with condemned men before the the day of their execution. Okay. So it's just mainly just a two-person, like, uh, in a room discussion. Uh, He's saying he's innocent and that he's been accused of this, and he flashes back to the things that he's accused of doing and so forth. And uh, he's saying like, he, he doesn't want her there and he's, he's innocent and he's just, he can't believe the injustice of all of it and stuff. Uh, and then, I mean, it's, it's only 14 minutes, so I will spoil it. And then the, the twist at the end is, I guess he was a killer because he murders her. Oh, yeah, yeah. and then they, they put him to death. And let's see. Uh, it, it was not bad. You know, it's, I, I'm getting more of a feel for the Michael J. Murphy tone and aesthetic point well yeah i guess it would be would have been hard to up to this point because his movies are uh not all there yeah Yeah. missing a lot of pieces really unfortunate regardless of whether they're good or not it's just unfortunate you can't get the whole thing it is a bummer and they're definitely interesting uh there and there's a bunch of other ones oh Oh, my goodness michael j murphy oh uh they're uh, I, I also watched all of the additional fragments because there's a bunch of films that are totally lost other than just like little pieces. Oh. So I, I watched the bits of those and a lot of those are really fun too. There's one that is like a high school one he did that's a Lost City of Atlantis thing with, oh. <laughs> you know, uh, cardboard buildings and shit. It looks really right. fun. I, I'm sad that <laughs> more of it doesn't exist. Uh, that's too bad. I, I'm I'm sold on the idea already, even if I yeah. know nothing about the tone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so next up, we've got Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell, also known as the Japanese Evil Dead. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> I was going to be like, what kind of tone is this thing? And then, <laughs> yeah, all right, I get it now. I understand what this movie is. So it's mid-90s, it's shot on video, it's heavily, heavily Evil Dead inspired, of course. Right. Uh, you got this guy, he's a bodybuilder, he buys this new house, and he's lifting some weights, and he's like, wait, this place is fucking haunted. 
So he gets gets together some people. There's a psychic. He's going to exorcise the demons from this house. And, you know, they get fucking evil deaded. Uh, people turn into deadites. He eventually, you know, the cast whittles down. And then there's just this bodybuilder guy. And he's got to, like, fight them with barbells and shit. <laughs> it's fun. It. It's it's uh, very ludicrous. It's super cheap. But, you know, it's, it's fun. Very cool. splattery nonsense. All right. Next, we've got Invisible Maniac. Uh, it's like an Invisible Man story, except uh, he's uh, it's a slasher movie. So Invisible Slasher. The new physics professor has a disappearing act that's a real scream. Oh, my gosh, cats. Calm down. Chill. Uh, it, so think you, you're really budget conscious and you got to make a slasher movie. OK, well, Invisible Slasher. So, uh. All right, you don't have to hire a, a person to just slash. That's that just saves money right there. But I mean, I, you I do have the character. You got the guy. Yeah, he he is a character in the movie. It's just for the kill scenes, you just have people pretend like they're being attacked, <laughs> and then you dub in. Excuse me, you dub in him going <laughs> for the entire time. It's kind of like that. It's just, this guy constantly laughing it up and uh, people pretending to die. Uh, it's so bad. <laughs> Ooh, real bad. Uh, that's all right. <laughs> I, I mean, like, it's not horrible, but I mean, as far as slasher movies go, it's on the lower end. It's surprisingly nasty for being sort of a weird, horny boner comedy some of the time. Oh, because, <laughs> you know, it's it's, you know, he undresses them and you like oh, yeah. they always have their tits out when he kills them oh, uh, necessarily. And it's weird. He's the professor and he had previously in, introduced how he's found uh, the serum for invisibility at this science conference. But it didn't work then. Oh. So everybody laughed at him. So he massacres all of them and he's actually currently on the run and. Uh, under an assumed name as a substitute teacher but okay. then he does crack the formula so then he murders all of the students he's taking care of uh weird weird all right <laughs> next is one you caught the very end of diary of a nudist <laughs> the one where you challenged us uh will we get to your house before the endless scene ends and we i don't think we did did we you sort of did i mean it it's questionable if it ended um, th this one, it's much like the other Doris Wishman nudist camp movies. Uh, you got this lady reporter who's sent to do an expose. You know, uh, we, we found out that there's a nudist camp because the, the boss who runs the place, he's a hunter and he happens to have just stumbled upon it while hunting. Mm. He's like, okay, you got to go infiltrate. So you're going to get the scoop on people being naked, I guess. Uh, so <laughs> she, goes she discovers there. Of course. Well, she goes there and yeah, it's just people being naked. So it's like, whatever. And <laughs> he keeps badgering her. It's like, well, when are you going to send the expose? And she's written, he's like, no, it's really great. I kind of like it. Uh, I'm sort of into the whole thing. So he fires her. It's like, well, how are you not exposing the, the bad stuff? <laughs> and then, you know, a couple weeks pass and he shows up and he's going to do the report himself. And he, uh, he soon finds, of course, that, you know, it's just people being naked and there's nothing to expose. And he kind of falls in love with it, too, because or all maybe of these everything, movies. Are, or maybe everything's already exposed. 
Well, yeah, exactly. There's nothing left to expose. It's <laughs> oh, all out in the right. open. That, that's, that's exactly what you said, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, the, the, the fun thing with these is they're all about how wonderful nudism is, and they're all about, like, oh, you've got to join nudism. Like, this one opens with a mission statement about why nudism is great. <laughs> so strange. Uh, but the, the scene in question is him sitting down to try and write his report and then he realizes he's got nothing to write about and so he's wandering around the room and he decides to go get some smokes and then he comes back and tries to write it again and he ultimately <laughs> decides that he's not even going to do the story yeah. <laughs> next is one that you saw incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies or as i like to call it the incredibly strange creatures that stopped living and became mixed up zombies in the last 10 minutes Oh, did they even, I mean, those are, they didn't stop living. Those are just her acid victims. Right. Yeah, nobody became as, well, hmm. So the thing about this movie. It's a Ray Dennis Steckler movie, <laughs> and boy is it ever. Oh, boy. So it is. Mostly variety it, shows? <laughs> mostly variety shows. This movie is objectively better than The Trooper in every conceivable way, and I didn't enjoy it nearly as much. I don't like it as much as The Trooper, for sure. Uh, I like several of them in between quite a bit more. <clears throat> this one's sort of his signature feature because it's the most well-known. It's got the craziest title. It's very neon ridiculous. It's full color, and there's just stupid shit happening all the time. You've got Steckler himself as the great Cornholio. <laughs> he is the great Cornholio. And He's he got the same like blue trooper. hoodie. Yeah, he, he, it is the trooper kill style. Uh, but yes, yeah, so much of it is, it's like the rodeo, but it's just all of these tedious variety show acts. There's this one lady who's drunk all the time and she can't do her act well enough, even though it is sleep inducing to begin with. <laughs> she, she's Our like friend, stumbling over drunk. <laughs> Our friend uh, Carolyn Brandt, I believe. That's her, yeah. She's in all of them. She is even in... Our next picture, Nazi Brothel. <laughs> oh, boy. Featuring Jane Bond, uh, Agent 0088. Ooh, bad. Mm. Uh, so this this is the first of Ray Dennis Steckler's two Nazi pornos. Uh, both of them <laughs> oh do God. star Carolyn Brandt. Uh, as Jane Bond. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so she's a spy in the Nazi brothel, uh, not involved right. in any of the actual sex. Oh, okay. This is a hardcore film. Uh, there is sex. Uh, again, not sexual, not sexy, not intended to be sexy. I would say in this case, deliberately intending to be anti-sexual. Okay. Because okay. one of the opening shots, picture from... Uh, <laughs> A, a concentration camp. Oh, that's not sexy. Not sexy. One of the first things you see. And then it's like, we, we see the title screen, Nazi brothel, and it pans over and says, shit. <laughs> oh, right. You showed me that. <laughs> All throughout the movie, we randomly cut away to anti-Nazi graffiti on walls during every scene. Uh, <laughs> one of the running things is that none of the Nazis can get or maintain an erection. <laughs> You got a whole lot of just people yelling at dicks. Uh, it's weird. It's so strange. Oh, get it up. Why aren't you up? Why aren't you hard? I order you to get hard. And then she like sends him to go uh, masturbate for a while. And it's just him uh, trying to get hard for like 
solidly 15 minutes of the movie. It just regularly cuts back to him wearing his helmet, his like military <laughs> helmet, a yep. Nazi armband, uh, and nothing else. <laughs> of course. He, so he takes off his whole uniform, takes off the armband from the uniform and puts it on his naked arm. Yeah, just just the armband, uh, and he's jerking it, and also constantly hitting the toilet flush over and over in the same rhythm. <laughs> it's, I mean, I don't know. It's it's like an art film. It's so bizarre. Oh my like God. no one makes a porno like Ray Dennis Steckler. Okay. <laughs> I... Oh um, well, the... it's this terrible. Front it's... runner. It's gross, but it and it is only like fifty five minutes. It's you feel it because oh man, it's so gross at times. Yeah, well, I mean, fifty five minutes of Ray Dennis Steckler feels like a couple hours. And it's it's Ray Dennis Steckler hardcore. Oh boy, I don't know if I want to do this one or not. <laughs> I I, I I'm, I'm going back and forth between I really want to do this and I really don't want to do this. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a hell of a thing to experience. <laughs> All right. uh, next, next we've got Deep Undead, which is a fairly recent shot on video feature. It's uh, oh, I think 2019. Finished, yeah, like it, I think it was completed for this version in 2019, but I think mostly finished in 2005. Oh, okay. But still pretty modern SOV, but it feels like a classic one. Uh, this one is maybe just totally me. It's a underwater zombie thing. And that's so my deal. (laughs) Uh, Very slow moving. Uh, It's totally unbelievably elaborately confusing. It makes no sense. There's there there are these uh, salvage divers. Okay. The salvage diving team. And they've been asked to come in and take a look at the canal or this river or something next to a nuclear power plant. Because there's been maybe a bit of leakage. There's maybe been some people who died there. You know, we, we're just going to stop it. We're going to look into it. And it's maybe corporate malfeasance. But then there's this thing about the Nuclear Regulatory Committee who are maybe themselves shady. And uh, <laughs> it turns out to be a thing where there's aliens who are zombies, who are merfolk, who are underwater. <laughs> and it's, you know, they've been there since the 20s, since this shipwreck that they're exploring there originally sank when there were zombies on it during the flapper era that's how the movie opens with this party on new year's on 1923 or something on a boat (laughs) oh it's weird and just so much time of just underwater footage of people diving in this chill ambient synth wave playing oh i dig it (laughs) all right that's that sounds interesting too yeah next we've got body double this is a brian de palma picture have we have we covered him uh, I don't think so. We almost did Carrie. Right, right. Okay, okay. So this is one of his films that's extremely influenced by Hitchcock. It's a pure Hitchcock homage. And I don't know how much of it would make sense or land in any way with you having not seen Rear Window or Vertigo yet, because it's Rear Window plus Vertigo uh, in 1984. <laughs> Like, okay, well, it's I please. Uh, well, that that sounds interesting, uh, but like like you said, I haven't seen those movies. That's uh, yeah, that's so. the tough part because it's so based in actively recalling those movies and uh, playing different elements of them, but remixing them together. 
Uh, it takes lots of visual inspiration from it. And it's really jagged the, the way that it uses its visual style to like suddenly have something that looks very unrealistic. Uh, you know, it'll use real locations, which Hitchcock didn't typically do. He was much more of a set bound kind of guy, whereas this is mm-hmm. lots of real LA, LA locations and uh, some famous uh, architectural things. You've seen bits of this in Los Angeles plays itself. Oh, most likely. Uh, the the chemosphere is one of the is is the main bad guys or not even the main bad guy the sort of I don't know the the creepy bachelor pad is in uh, a pretty famous house but it's it's weird it's a movie about voyeurism and it's he he's house sitting for this dude and he's an actor he recently got fired because he has claustrophobia so this is all the vertigo stuff is claustrophobia okay okay. Uh, and he he was playing a vampire and he was getting in the coffin just every time he was getting in the coffin he had these uh, serious claustrophobic flashbacks this doesn't seem like an ideal job for him it's not really working out so he's he's laid off he's fired from the role and he's just staying at this dude's house who's out of town it's the chemosphere and the guy notes to him just as he's leaving like hey check this out and he shows how the telescope points directly in this hot lady's window when she does like a sexy dance and strips before she goes to bed every night. Like, of course, Ooh. nobody and, just throws their clothes on the floor and goes to bed. They got to do a sexy undress. Right. And he becomes totally obsessed with her and he's really into voyeurism. That is also a thing about him. He's intensely obsessed with voyeurism. Uh, okay. So it, it's just really keeps recurring. And he starts following her around and it turns out to be this whole complicated scheme where uh, someone is trying to murder her and there's this uh, creepy guy who looks like a monster and has a giant power drill who breaks into her place and goes after <laughs> her. It, it's elevated. It's fucking crazy. But yeah, it's a lot of rear window and a lot of vertigo kind of multiplied together, but very 80s. So it's involved in the porn industry. Uh, he, you know, ultimately the lady he's watching gets killed, which is the vertigo plot because he sees he happens to be watching a porno or he sees a trailer for a porno movie and he sees a girl who looks and acts just like her so he goes after her and he gets into the porn business okay yeah it's it's weird but uh i don't know i i have no idea how it would play having not seen the two source material movies fair enough fair enough next we've got dance of death Ooh. Uh, this is an Angela Mao kung fu movie. Uh, I don't. I, you probably haven't seen any of her features. I don't think I have up to this. Uh, um, I'm going to say probably not. She's in Enter the Dragon. I don't. Have you seen Enter the Dragon? I have seen one of the Bruce Lee movies, and it's right. the one where I With think Chuck it's Norris. the one where he fights Chuck Norris in the Coliseum. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So On, yeah, like, that's an island or something. No, the island one is Enter the Dragon, but Chuck Norris isn't in it. Oh, hmm. Maybe I'm I'm getting them mixed up, and maybe I saw a clip of him fighting Chuck Norris, but that wasn't the movie I saw. I don't know. I saw one Bruce Lee movie. Angela Mao is in Enter the Dragon, and she's pretty rad in that. That's the only thing I'd really seen her in. So this is the first time I've seen her in a lead role. She's pretty cool. It's a dance-foo movie. Oh. Now you have my attention. Yeah, she she has to learn dance foo to uh, combat the villain 
who who has upside down horse boxing style. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> which is pretty rad. It's it's not great. The the her masters are both like it's two annoying sidekicks, but there are the masters who are teaching her because oh, no. she like happens upon them in a field having an argument about whose style is better. And she's like, I'm going to learn your styles and use them both in battle and we'll judge through that whose style is the more effective. Of course. Yeah, that's that's a logical way to do it. Also, she's basically a fake Jackie Chan in this. Uh, I think <laughs> she was billed as Jackie Chan or Jackie Chang, but with a Y, Jackie, Jack Y. Oh. <laughs> Jackie Chang. Uh, and she is not playing a female character. She just is a male character, which is weird. Oh. Yeah, it's kind of neat. Uh, it's it's so-so. Uh, the Part of the problem is that this is a really faded old print. And, it, it, like, it is original language, but the subtitles, you can read maybe 30% of them. Oh, no. <laughs> so it's it's a little hard to get what's going on. And there are extended sequences where it's people quipping at each other before a fight, before a thing. Because it's, it's much more comedy-oriented than it is action-oriented for kung fu. Right, right. So... I don't know what any of it's about. It's just like these people jawing each other. I can't read most of the subtitles because it's, oh, no. you know, white on white. Mm. <laughs> so, oh, I hate that. It, it does make it a little bit tough to uh, follow what's going on sometimes. And last one is Days of Thunder. Tom Cruise picture. Uh, now, we've we definitely covered Tom Cruise in Eyes Wide Shut. Have we done anything else he's been in? I don't think so. I don't believe so. This one is kind of one of his vanity project pictures. Uh, I'm looking at the poster, and the face that he makes in the poster is the exact face that he makes when he's trying to comprehend that girls want sex. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, This one is sort of a horny cruise movie. The first time they sort of went that way, or like, I guess it's Tom, it's Top Gun adjacent. This is... I think it was sold as Top Gun on a race car, you know. <laughs> uh, it's it's a NASCAR movie. And this okay. is like a movie that Scientology kind of willed into being. This is a movie that, you know, he wanted to get together with Nicole Kidman. And this is a movie with him and Nicole Kidman doing race car stuff. You know, it it is a pure Tom Cruise vanity project. Oh, boy. <laughs> now, this is the other one I was thinking of when I mentioned that I'd watch something else with some really ridiculous A-plus fucking perfect names. So, Tom Cruise's character is named Cole Trickle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the the guy, uh, guy who built his car and runs his race team... Played by Robert Duvall. Hmm? Harry Hogg. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding names. You've also got John C. Riley as a member of the, the race team, which is fun. I can't remember his character's name. But those are the two that really stand out to me. Cole Trickle and Harry Hogg. Just insane. <laughs> sounds like sounds like two porn star names. Yeah, it really does. They're completely absurd. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, it's it's, you know, he's a race car driver. He's a, he wants to become the he's going to win Daytona. He's absolutely certain he's going to win Daytona. He's never actually raced a stock car before, but, you know, he feels that he's the guy for the job. He's raced other kinds of cars. 
it looks easy, so I'm sure I could do it and do it better than the people who have been doing it all their lives. Yeah, and so he has this whole rivalry with uh, Michael Madsen. Uh, young Michael Madsen is you know, his main rival. Uh, eventually, there's a huge fiery crash, and he has to you know, will himself back into it again afterwards. Uh, it's incredibly well shot. It's Tony Scott, same guy who directed Top Gun. It looks amazing. You know, the the car races are all fucking incredible. It's aesthetic, just super dense, you know, very uh, like as I was talking about the honeyed sunsets and stuff of uh, the 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 water ripply scenes in Flatliners. The whole movie kind of looks like that. OK, it's just one of those movies just constantly looks uh, totally incredible. This is a movie that I was sort of obsessed with when I was really young. This movie came out when I was like seven and I was into cars. And oh. I, I like I had Hot Wheels of the mellow yellow car he drives at the end. <laughs> and I built a scale model of the Hardy's car that the villain drives at the end. Ah. Oh, cool. Good shit. Uh not a very good movie, honestly, but it you know, it it's it's a whole thing. It's a vibe. Hmm. All right. So those are our fifteen options for our second feature next week. What do you think? Oh man, um, right now <laughs> it's between Highway Racer, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, uh, Nazi Brothel, which I really, I'm trying to talk myself out of it. What but... I would suggest, because like one, I don't know how much there is to talk about beyond just the the basic insanity of it existing. Is uh, I, I'd recommend watching it when we're doing another Steckler. We could do a sidebar on it, maybe. Oh, also, okay. there is a sequel, which I'll be talking about momentarily. <laughs> All right. Um, so you said Highway Racer was really good, yeah? Yeah, it's really good. I think maybe my favorite one in this set so far, either Highway Racer or Colt 38 Special Squad. Those are both really solid ones. Okay. Well, why don't why don't we do Highway Racer? And then I'll try to find something that has nothing to do with cars for the main feature. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) So we have a handful of additions. uh, Aforementioned Wild Things, of course. Yep. Uh, We've Uh, got... Yeah, uh, yeah, you sent me the picture of the hot tub, which now I definitely remember this. Right, so just pool, but yeah, the the sex scene between Nev Campbell and uh, Denise Richards, uh, the thing of legend in the... Uh, late 90s teen culture how in the fuck did i not like move mountains to try and see this i had like the biggest crush on nev campbell and you know i mean denise richards existed but nev campbell and i yeah, never I mean, saw this what the hell was i thinking <laughs> denise richards was in the worst bond movie was she the she was the worst bond girl christmas jones oh i thought christmas only came once a year <laughs> Yeah, James, it did. Oh, bad. Uh, next, we've got Lady Whirlwind, which is another Angela Mao feature. This one's actually a fully restored one uh, from Arrow. Okay. Uh, and it's this she. It sounds like kind of a fun revenge one where she's helping this guy fight his way out of uh, the clutches of a bunch of gangsters because she wants to be the one to kill him for revenge. Cool. <laughs> I'm into it. Yeah. That's no one else can good. kill you, but me, me only. Uh, next. No, the case is happily resolved. 
<laughs> All right, we got to open up this case. No, it's resolved. <laughs> yeah, well, it's kind of that. So this is another Polizioteschi. This is actually the last one in the Years of Lead box, which we'll be uh, doing our second feature from. Oh, okay. So it is, uh, th- this guy witnesses a murder, but he doesn't want to get into, he doesn't want to get involved. He doesn't want to get trouble with it. But the person who committed the murder saw him as the witness, so he reports the witness as the murderer oh, and himself no. as the witness. <laughs> and it's like, well, if you're just a witness, why didn't you report it? Uh, you know, <laughs> this is awkward. Mm, geez, oh, well, the thing about that is, yeah. So he's in a bit of a bind. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> uh, next, we've got Goodbye 20th Century, which is a Macedonian film. I don't know if I've ever seen a film from Macedonia before. I will say that I have not. Uh, It is a post-apocalyptic movie set in the post-apocalyptic future of 2019. One year (laughs) off. (laughs) Uh, From what I understand, extremely heightened, very ridiculous. There's this immortal guy wandering around. He's trying to find out how he can die. Uh, (laughs) Sure. And just time sort of collapses. It's all sorts of just, uh, like, my understanding is it's totally anarchic. Very hard to uh, follow exactly what's going on. It's just, like, edgy Mad Max, uh, that sort of stuff. Like, all of those uh, post-Mad Max ones, but just, like, extremely edgy 90s version. And also... Eastern Bloc European, so sort of the the Strangler versus Strangler or uh, Serbian film type of energy. I'm I'm just reading the last sentence of the description here. It says, as he enters the whirling circles of time, we discover the blasphemy of our century and how it is to close its circle. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) I don't know. All right. Next up is Stay which is the next one in the Michael J. Murphy box. This one, it's just a straightforward romance. Okay. Uh, this, it's, there's, I, I think the lady is, I, I can't remember. It's either the guy is a tourist in Greece staying at the lady's place or vice versa. Uh, and they have a romance. That's, that's the movie. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't really sound like my kind of thing. But we'll see. Uh, Next, The Prince and the Nature Girl, which will finish off the Doris Wishman Nudie Cuties collection. So a prince discovers a nudist camp and or is somehow against it. But once he enters it, he realizes that it's just being naked. And underneath all of our clothes, we're all naked all the time. I would say probably most likely that. Essentially that. (laughs) you got a prince... And he falls in love with this girl, but she turns out to be a nudist. <gasps> oh, I bet their families won't let them marry. I would have to imagine. The thing is, Doris, Doris Wishman did not live in Florida anymore and no longer had access to nudist colonies. You know what she did have? What did she have? Five other movies where she visited nudist colonies. It's a clip movie. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We've seen these. Yeah, so this one's uh, Doris Wishman's clip show of her previous nudist films. (laughs) Sure. Back to the apartment. (laughs) Or I guess this is probably the first in the apartment saga. Because this is prior to. Yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, next, we've got the sequel to Nazi Brothel, The Love Life of Hitler's Nazis. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it, uh, from what I understand, a direct sequel, Jane Bond returns to, you know, uh, harass more Nazis and their sex lives, I guess. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's I, I, I just opened the page and the, the write up is Jane Bond returns to infiltrate the Nazis again and instigate more chaos in their sex lives. <laughs> that is the whole description. Wow. That is, that's that's the whole it. thing. What can I say? <laughs> and the last is the mystery of chess boxing. This is the next one, the Jackie exploitation box. This one's a pretty significant one because it gave the name of one of the members of the Wu-Tang Clan and one of the songs from their first album. So I was reading the description. It's like, oh, wow. So they just just called him the Ghostface Killer. But all right. That's where he, yeah, he, that's where he got the name from. It's the Ghostface Killer. And one of the songs on, I think it's Enter the 36th Chamber, is The Mystery of Checks Boxing. Oh, cool. It's actually even one of their song titles. So, yeah, that's nice. kind of rad. That'll be fun to dig into. I, I have been enjoying these, but they're hard to recommend as main features because the uh, visual quality fluctuates considerably. Mm-hmm. I see, I see. And most of them are dubs. Right. Which I know you're not as much of a fan of. Although we did, of course, do Kung Fu Wonder Child, which is great. Yeah. So I can I can deal with dubs, but I don't prefer dubs. Yeah, totally. So those are all our additions for this week. What do you figure for our main feature? All right. What's something that I couldn't possibly theme with our second one? Uh, hmm. What do you feel like watching? What, what, what are you in the mood for pairing? Well, I'm going to be honest. I just want to watch. You just made me want to watch Rear Window. <laughs> I just <laughs> yeah. want to do that. <laughs> all right. Well, we got Rear Window here. Yeah. <laughs> and it rules. It fucking rips. It's one of the greatest movies ever made. I mean, yeah, I'm up here watching <laughs> one of the greatest movies ever made. Hitchcock has Hitchcock has proven to be a director I like. I would a say lot. that this one and Vertigo are my two favorite Hitchcocks. No real debate in the matter. Those are the two that I would say are my absolute tip top most. And it's hard to say which one because they're both incredible. For me so far, it's rope, but but we'll see. Let's yeah, let's do rear window. All right. So rear window and uh, highway racer should be fun stuff. Uh, Very different styles of movies in that rear window is very locked down set based. You have just this one really incredible, huge apartment building set uh, versus highway racer, which is on the streets, lots of fucking car action, cars rolling down uh, <laughs> Roman steps and stuff. Yeah. Nice. Excellent. All right. So uh, next week we'll be covering Rear Window and Highway Racer. Uh, do you have any last thoughts while we're closing up for this week? Oh, honey, that creepy man, that creepy boy across the way is staring at me again. <laughs> yeah, this is that one. Yeah, wow, you'll, you'll finally see uh, the origin of that. A lot of stuff in this one as well. This is one of those big iconic ones in that way. Nice, nice. Uh, all right. Uh, uh, heck, I didn't think ahead of something. <laughs> Get hard. 
<laughs> I order you to get hard. Oh man, I I do think you gotta see it, but I uh, like there's no uh, way we watch it to get together. So it's like if we're doing another <laughs> Steckler, you kind of got to experience this thing because it's horrible, but it's so fascinating to look at in an awful sort of way. Yeah, I we will never ever convince our friends to watch a movie called Nazi brothel <laughs> brothel with good reason before we tell them that it's a hardcore film. <laughs> it's by that guy who made blood shack. I'm like, Oh, was it on the mattress? Oh! <laughs> it feels like where the Nazi brothel would be. All right. Well, thanks everyone so much for listening in. Stop bending.